Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> For those of you listening back in the future to kind of all our back catalogue of end of year specials. <laughs> when one of yeah. us gets famous, yeah. people will dig this out. Just wanted to kind of make sure everyone knew what year it was, because as well as that, some of you are probably stupid and you won't know what year we're talking about and I confuse you all. Uh, I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. Matt Lamborn. Hello. Um, making his triumphant return, uh, despite the fact we've had more listeners since he left, Jerry McCauley. <laughs> Hello. I was going to make that point myself. <laughs> Do you really want me back? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Silence was definite. Edit that silence out, James. I'm, I'm sure it's just a coincidence that all these people started listening after, after you left. I'm, I'm sure... Yes. The podcast needs Jerry for the Spanish demographics, so he's got to yes. stick around. Yes, Jerry will be talking throughout this whole podcast in the same way the Far Show sketch did with their with their <laughs> news readers. I, I should hope he does. <laughs> anyway, uh, so. Shambolic <laughs> start as always. Yeah, yeah. Let's get five times shambolic. I thought yes. that was that unusual, to be honest. <laughs> We're all drunk, yes. so we're all it. drinking. It's the end of year. It's it's our kind of office Christmas party in a virtual sense. So drinks are flowing. Except there's no one to shag. Yeah, no. Someone's going to cop a feel in our virtual station. We come towards the end of this. Yeah, just a minute. And he's on Steve and Jerry. I'll switch the video on in a minute, and we'll uh, <laughs> partake in um, some Christmas shenanigans, shall we? Yes. I'm actually not in my pants yeah. uh, for once. I'm actually fully dressed for once. So <laughs> this is a bit earlier than normal. Which means it'll take you even longer to photocopy your ass when that's... That's right. <laughs> it's like they say about telephone interviews, isn't it? You wear a suit, so you feel smart, and then when you're on the telephone speaking to the employer, then you sort of present yourself as smart. I think it's quite fitting that we all sit around in our pants on this podcast. Just sit in our yes. bedrooms, nothing else on. And yeah. I'm sure the listeners can't tell. Speak, and, uh, speak I, they just get the sexy vibe. That's <laughs> yeah. what they can get. They, they don't know why they're turned on, <laughs> but they are. They get the vibe. Mm. 
anyway, we should probably do some proper <laughs> podcasting. Yes. Uh, so we start off with a with a quiz with a different. Got a special quiz. Special, yeah. Special quiz, special triple bill, special awards, and then special um, other thing recommendations. <laughs> mm. That so. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, James, do you want to start us off with the quiz? Okay, well, I thought as as we've got five of us on, which is enough for a 2v2 penalty shootout style quiz, I thought, why don't we do that for the end of the year? So um, I, I've decided to separate you into a team of Owen and Steve, uh, the regulars, uh, as, as you will, and then Matt and Jerry, the strange people who come in now and again. Um, so there's your teams. I've got You've got five questions each. I'm going to ask <coughs> all the questions in a penalty shootout style. Um, and it's about the year in cinema. Um, so as um, I've kind of lumped Jerry and Matt together as the weird outsiders, uh, I'm going to let them go first. Do you want to go first or second? No, let's go first. You're going to go first. Okay, so this one is to Jerry and Matt then. You can confer, but I need your answer at the end of it. Uh, which film out of the following three films had the highest u.s box office gross oh, and the three films are carrie texas chainsaw 3d and evil dead all horror remakes see the theme <laughs> i'd have thought the closet horror fans would go for evil dead more than you what do you think jerry yeah but i'm th- i'm trying to think what i've heard people in work talking about quite a few people went to see uh, went to see evil dead quite a few people went to see carrie I think mm. the key here is, though, Jerry, you don't work in America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Unless that. that's left and he just didn't yeah. tell us. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, US box office is usually just a slightly higher version of the same kind of um, demographics as the UK one, isn't it? They're not massively different. I personally think there's think more about... zombie freaks out there than there would be people who want to see uh, Carrie, even though it is a, a horror classic. Yeah, I like I like your logic. We'll go with that. You're going evil. That's correct. You've scored. Yeah. Uh, yeah Carrie made 35 million. Texas Chainsaw 34 million dollars. Evil Dead 54 million dollars. So uh, quite a way ahead there. Excellent. Right. Okay. Over to Owen and Steve. Uh, which of these animated films had the highest U.S. box office gross? The Crudes, Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs 2, or Epic? Hmm. I think the Crudes did quite well actually. Which one had the biggest voice cast? I've not seen any of them. Um, I don't really know who's in in them. No, I didn't see them either. But I think the I still think the Crews did quite well. I remember it was pushed quite heavily by a lot of critics. But wasn't wasn't Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs the first one really good and popular? So surely the second one should be equally. Yeah, good. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> But I think this is gold. <laughs> Cody 2, I think, was more... The first one was definitely seen by... Um, well, everyone who saw it liked it, but I don't think it was seen as widely as, you know, the others. I think it was the, the darker middle part of the trilogy and maybe not for kids so much. So uh, <laughs> let's let's yeah. go with the Croods. Okay. Is that your answer? So glad we didn't get this question. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've scored. Yes. It's the Croods. Oh. Starring Nick Cage, uh, $187 million. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, $215 million. And Epic, $107 million. Oh, excellent. Oh, so it's one all. Okay, back to Jerry and Matt then. Which film, this is a test of your memory now, won Best Original Screenplay at this year's Oscars? God. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I know this one. I'm like, yes! <laughs> Best original screenplay. I think... <coughs> I have a feeling it might be Django. I'll back you on that one. I have literally got it, no idea. It was certainly nominated. Is that your answer? I can't think of, yeah, go for it. Yes. You're correct! You oh, scored it! Wow. Django Unchained, yes. Right, over to... Uh, oh, God, that, it's accurate shooting here Skill at the game. moment. Skill game. Um... Okay, over to uh, Stephen Owen. Which film won Best Adapted Screenplay at this year's Oscars? Are we getting a choice or do we just pick one? No, same as that. You just pick one. Adapted Screenplay. Of... Adapted Screenplay. Remember, Owen managed to yeah. predict them all. So the fact that he's struggling to remember Well, this I think is what... it was Silver Linings Playbook. I think that swept a few different awards. What do you think, Steve? You predicted every single Oscar right, even the technical sound one. So <laughs> I'm going I'm I'm to let this one fall on your shoulders. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah, I think it was um, Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, he's missed. Uh, it was Argo. Oh, was it? Of course. Argo yeah. Won. yeah. Argo yeah, love love <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nicely done. OK, so over to uh, Jerry Matt with the 2-1 lead. Which actor, which of these three actors appeared in more films this year? Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Paul Giamatti, or Channing Tatum? Oh, God. They've all been a few, I think, haven't they? Yeah, they're all high-volume actors. <laughs> um, what, what were they again? The Rock, Paul Giamatti, and who? The Rock, Paul Giamatti, and Channing Tatum, and I am going from IMDb release dates. I'm trying to think. I haven't seen The Rock in too many things this year. Giamatti's in like everything. He just turns up. He's just got like a little role in, in like at least fifty percent of the films I've seen. Um, but Channing Tatum does a lot of films that I don't watch. That's all I'm thinking. <laughs> I can only remember Channing and uh, Side Effects. I think that's yeah. the only one I've seen him in this year, and he was good in that. To be fair, but I think it's a well, it's not a coin toss because there's three of them, but they're all pretty equal. Mm. Go for the middle one. Paul Giamatti. Is that your answer? Yep. You want that one, Jerry? Yeah? Okay. And that is correct. Oh. Yes. <laughs> He's been in seven films this year. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Channing Tatum both in five films this year. So excellent work. Right. Lads, you, you, you're struggling here. Three, one down. Okay, I can uh, hear we- Matt using Google, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, here we go. The accusations have started just, already. Just listen to me. He's got the voice search thing on his phone. Just listen, just <laughs> oh, so he just repeats yeah, the he question. Yeah, he repeats the question back, back that once you've read it. Just listen next time. <laughs> okay. Which of these three actresses have appeared in the most films this year? Kristen Wiig, Scarlett Johansson, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence is everywhere, isn't she? She is, yeah. She was in Hunger Games and... She was in something else recently that I saw. Silver, the Silver Linings Playbook this year or last year? That was last year. That was a 2012 release, I think. Late October, November, something like that. Yeah, because I checked um, the nominations. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Kristen Wiig, though. I've heard her name quite a lot this year. 
So actually, was Jennifer Lawrence in that much this year? I mean, she was in Hunger Games. She's in American Hustle, if that's out this year. Just uh, no, that's, see, that's, yeah, 1st of January, I think that one is. I'll, com- I'll confirm that is out this year. It's out in London and it's it's been released. Because uh, we're going to, IMDb okay. dates, aren't we? Not actual yeah, UK that did count. I'll give you that. I'll let you know that did count. But, that, well. but I can't think of much else that she, this actual calendar year. Mm. It might okay. be a purple might be the obvious one to go for but who was the other one scarlett johansson scarlett johansson was the other we've got one. we've got we've got to get this right or else or else we're out pretty much mm. scarlett johansson's perfume adverts count <laughs> no. sadly they do they are works of art do, but was, sadly do my dreams count <laughs> oh, God. 365 of them <laughs> Uh, see, she was in Don John. I think she's in that movie set in Scotland with the aliens or, or whatever it's meant. This, mm, this is a tough one. I'm going to let you choose then, Steve. I don't really know. I'm going to go with Scarlett Johansson. Is that your final answer? Yeah. 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 Oh, no. Oh, it was Kristen Wiig. Oh. Kristen Wiig has been in four films this year. Scarlett Johansson and Jennifer Lawrence have only appeared in three films this year. It was re- I found that one really difficult researching because I couldn't find a single oh, actor who's been in more than thanks. three. <laughs> uh, and then I found Kristen Wiig. So, uh, yeah, Kristen Wiig, who's been in um, Anchorman 2, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, mm. uh, Despicable Me 2, and something else earlier so this there, year as well. So there we go. Women want equal pay, yet they do less work. <laughs> <laughs> So this is where um, you can really turn the screws now. You can you can really go for this now, Jerry and Matt, because you've beaten them. But how badly do you Hang want? On, to they haven't beat us yet. They've got two questions uh, yeah, left. They haven't they? Too wrong. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's they've right. Not, okay. Yeah. yeah, no, sorry, Steve. This is for the win. We'd like we'd like to wrap this it up now, if possible. This is for the win. Okay. Which of these actresses wasn't on Forbes' most overpaid list of 2013? Um, their reasoning was they took in uh, an actress's or an actor's um, pay and looked at how much money their films made. So for every pound, every dollar that they were paid, they bought a certain return. And they had a list of 10 actors and actresses who were... Um, seen to be who had the least return for their salary okay and which of these actresses wasn't on that list so it's only it's the top 10 is it it's the top 10 yeah okay so which of these actresses weren't in the top 10 reese witherspoon drew barrymore jennifer aniston oh difficult i can't think of value i would have thought yeah I can't think of a film that Barrymore or Witherspoon's been in this year, which might be a clue. Uh, it's ba- it was released in June and based on the previous 12 months of that, so it kind of crosses over into 2012 in as June. well. Mm. So you'd have like Marley and me for Aniston, that sort of thing, possibly. I don't know whether it's that old. I'm trying to think whether it's before or after Where the Millers came out. Yeah, you got that one too. Because... Anderson will have made a fair amount of money off that film. Yeah, Anderson's box office. I reckon it's here. Yep, we're going Anderson. 
Oh, no! Oh, it's a lifeline bit. It's actually Drew Barrymore for the simple reason that she wasn't in enough films to appear on the list. Oh. Uh, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston both appeared on that list. They both had positive numbers, though. That you know, For every dollar, I think they received $6 back or something like that. Whereas Drew Barrymore famously in 2011 on the um, list, for every dollar she was paid, her films made back 40 cents, um, which is just horrific. Um, so yeah, don't, I think she's pretty much given up acting now. Uh, okay, so Steve, Owen, mm. chance to get back into it. Could probably similar question. Yeah, I thought it would be. It's about actors. Which of these actors was it? And you'll be surprised at this. Which of these actors wasn't on the Forbes most overpaid list for 2013? The three actors I've got for you: Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, George Clooney. Fucking hell, that's a tough one. Oops, sorry for this. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Matt Damon. End of year. <laughs> So which of these wasn't on the on the list? Two of those were on the ten most overpaid actors and actresses list. What the hell has George Clooney been in this year other than Gravity? Gravity. Um, Nespresso. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect Storm was on ITV2 the other night. <laughs> Probably counts. Denzel What's... Washington's been in Flight, but I, I think that was released in 2012 in America, so that might not count. It would count in that 12-month period. It would count in that 12-month period. Right. As would have, um, I think, Two Guns as well. Mm. But Two Guns, I was, I'm sure, did quite well, considering its expected success was quite low. But what, did, what did Matt Damon do this year? He did Behind the Candelabra, but that was a... Well, the TV, TV movie, movie, so that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been big mm. money. But he did Elysium, which would have been. Mm. Ooh, this is tough. Um, no pressure, I'm, lads. <laughs> I'm leaning more towards Clooney just because I can't think of anything else he's been in. But wouldn't Gravity have raked in loads of money? But if he's been in like four other complete and utter failures. What you're looking for is the person who was a success. <laughs> this is the person who wasn't on the overpaid mm. list, i.e. They, they more than earned their keep. It's got to be Clooney, then. I don't think anyone's done a better film. He would have made a lot of money from that. But then... then, then, Yeah. Mm. I don't think it's Matt Damon, because I can't think of anything other than Behind the Candelabra that he's done in Elysium. But then... Gravity had a lot of height. I just go George Clooney, then. So he won't be on the list, yeah. Yeah. So George Clooney won't be on the list. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That is correct. Yes. Lifeline. Yes, Matt Damon and Denzel Washington both on the overpaid actors list. Okay, finally this is, then. This is where I'm throwing up with Bruce Grobbler our legs here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to uh, back to Matt and Jerry. Which of these? And this is kind of looking forward into the future now. Which Wait, of these? Well done. Films... We've got to predict the future now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. How can they get it right? Oh, no, it, it... You'll get it in a second. Which of these films doesn't currently? have a sequel in development. Raging Bull, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Thelma and Louise. Oh, that's far too easy. Bill and Ted does, right? I think so. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if Raging Bull did. Yeah, well, Thelma and Louise, how do they do a sequel to that? Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Steve, Steve's fuming. I remember from earlier podcasts, you and Davis retired a long time ago, effectively after... Uh, <laughs> What's it called? That shitty pirate movie. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, just just for a bit of fun then, Stephen Owen, you've also got a question. So for you, same question. Which of these films doesn't currently have a sequel in development? The King's Speech, Three Men and a Baby, Look Who's Talking. Three Men and a Baby, though, so I spoke about this. Mm-hmm. In, in Look depth. Who's Talking... Look Who's Talking's probably got one in development that's just no, I constantly... Think, I know it sounds stupid, but I'm sure... I've, no, actually, this would sound stupid, especially if it's wrong. I'm sure I've heard the King's Speech has. I don't know how. Some other royal person. I don't know why that rings a bell. I don't know why. Okay. As soon as he said it, I thought, it has, but I don't know how, but it has. Queen's Speech. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, the, Queen's, well... the Queen's Nose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Holy... All right, then we'll go look who's talking, shall we? Doesn't yes. make a difference. Yeah. No, who cares? Look who's talking. Yeah, well done. You, you finished off it. Unbelievably, uh, Colin Firth has signed potential uh, the potential to star in The King's Speech 2, which will be about the uh, Second World War or something like that. So, uh, yeah. yeah it, oh, it's unlucky. less about his speech, though, isn't it? It's more about like the blip more about and things. Yeah, exactly, and how he was just like a great king or something, apparently. Um, it's not gonna, it's yeah. going to be about the same methods used to cure his stammer being used to uh, cure Gareth Gates's then. No. <laughs> no, that's a shame, though. That, that, that's being used to cure Nazism, Steve. Yes. <laughs> so, which is, uh, which yeah. is worse. So. <laughs> so, so it's a good job we've got, we've got a cure for him. Brilliant. Okay, so we're agreed on that then. Nazism is worse than Gareth Gates. I'm glad we've kind of come to no, that. Not so. well, and if you take one thing, <laughs> let it be that. Yeah. <laughs> so well done to uh, the weird outsiders who've come back. Um, nice one, Jerry. As they win. Three. Sweet. That was lovely. Well done. Uh, yeah. Back to you, Steve. Yes, back to me in the studio. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a quick break now. We'll be back with uh, our triple bill. Um of our favourite three films of the year. Okay, so our triple bill for this end of year podcast is our favourite three films of the year and a few other things as well. Uh, so, James, why don't you start us off with your favourite three films of the year? Okay, I'm going to go in reverse order uh, very quickly. Three films I loved. Uh, and the reason I picked these three is because they said something like about they were properly cinematic for one reason or other. And the my my number three choice uh, is Les Miserables, uh, the the adaptation uh, of the stage musical, which starred Hugh Jackman uh, doing a fantastic singing turn, Anne Hathaway doing a fantastic singing turn, Russell Crowe fighting around so, the world. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it had been, um, you know. Yeah. Uh, leave aside Russell Crowe's voice. Uh, in fact, do you know what? There were there were a number of things not quite right with it, uh, a bit wrong with it. Did it make you shed but more I... tears than any other movie this year? Pardon? Did it make you shed more tears than any other movie? No, no, no. Um, collect- a few other collect- films. Collectively, he cried more at Les Mis than he did at every other film he's ever watched combined. That's what no, I thought. No, no, I think... Do you know what? Second time I saw it, I didn't cry, and I thought I'd broken myself. Honestly, I went to watch it for a second time in the cinema. I didn't cry at the end, and I, I but then I watched it on Blu-ray at home, and yeah, tears came at the end, so that was good. Um, but the thing is, it's just for me, it's uh, it's an utterly 
incredible achievement more than anything else. The fact that no one else had tried to do anything like this in terms of musicals on this scale ever before, on this absolute scale where they recorded all the vocals live as the actors were doing their performances, that I think was, that helped it work really well because the actors didn't have to, usually what they do is they record like six months before and then when they go back and get filmed, they have to limp sync to what they did six months ago. But they were able to make acting choices while they were singing. Uh, that made it feel more like live musical theatre than any musical uh, on film that I've ever seen before. Brilliant, brilliant performances. And it, it was just it was just big, bombastic. And it's everything that cinema should be about, in my opinion. Um, and that's kind of the same reason for my pick at number two which was the Wachowski siblings and Tom Twyker's Cloud Atlas which was based on the David Mitchell book although I only realized this year it's not the David Mitchell from Peep Show uh, <laughs> which I did, or did think was really weird I was like wow he's written this incredible layered book as as well as like doing Peep Show and being a snarky person on panel shows that's that's quite an incredible thing to do so no the other David Mitchell uh his book based uh six storylines based across kind of thousands of years of human history one of those books that everyone said was completely unfilmable. And what I love is that not only did the Wachowskis and Tom Twyker go out and film it, but they, the great thing about it is they didn't just pay too much respect to the book. They didn't film it in the way the book was written. They decided to do their own thing with it. And for me, again, that's why it works. It's a film with incredible momentum. And during just one kind of one minute bit of narrative from one of the characters it will cut to all six storylines and you still know what's happening you still know what's going on if you're paying attention um is someone rustling papers while i'm talking as well i'm gonna kick your ass (laughs) (laughs) but you know and again just these ideas that shouldn't work um who would have thought that hugh grant as some kind of me some kind of cannibal warrior from the future a would ever happen in a film and b would actually be in a brilliant film it, it it took me completely by surprise it was meant to be a disaster and it wasn't it was an absolutely triumphant film um really enjoyed it fantastic performances from a whole host of people um you know part of the tom hanks uh resurrection as well tom hanks been in some brilliant films this year he's he's kind of really really put his name back out there but hugh grant did brilliantly jim broadbent was fantastic hugo weaving as well um as well as um what's her name duna duna bay yes duna bay thank you um it, it just brilliant brilliant performances utterly mental no one should have attempted to make this film and the fact that they did makes me love it even more if i'd watched it on a completely different day I might have hated it, but the mood I was in, the way I wanted I absolutely adored this film. So that was my my second choice. My final choice, spoke about it on the podcast quite recently, so I won't go into too much detail, but it's the um, Danish stroke um, Indonesian uh, documentary, The Act of Killing. Um, Joshua Oppenheimer's film about the death squad. Actually, no, it is Malaysia, isn't it? I've had too many drinks. Um, And I sound really racist now as well, don't I? Malaysia, Indonesia one of them uh but yeah the, the fact that incredible incredible documentary about the death squads in the 60s and these leaders being asked and encouraged and they they jump at the opportunity to recreate their crimes using their favorite hollywood uh genres and they do and you learn so much about the banality of evil about how people who do bad things will come up with incredible 
uh, mental ideas as to why that was okay. Uh, and then seeing just the breakdown of these people as well. Utterly captivating film, not for everyone. Very, very difficult watch, but the most important film I've seen in many a year. That's my top three. Uh, Owen, follow that. Uh, difficult, isn't it? That was quite a compelling case for those three. But... I should drink more often. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Well, my favourite films, I'll go sort of in reverse order a little bit, I suppose. Uh, Alpha Papa, Alan Partridge movie, is one of my favourite films of the year. Uh, I kind of expected it to be. Um, although there is always sort of a, a, a nagging doubt at the back of your mind when you've got these big comedy films made out of TV shows. You know, last year was in between us and that wasn't, I didn't think that was particularly great. Um, but it was, you know, it was mildly, mildly amusing. Whereas Alpha Papa was just fantastic. I mean, we had other great comedies recently, you know, uh, The World's End and Sightseers. I really enjoyed both of them. But it's just sort of, it, Alpha Papa got Alan Partridge in this moment at this moment in time just spot on Steve Coogan was brilliant the writing was just great there were some really clever gags there were lots of subtle nods to like things that had happened to him in the past um but it, it still stayed relevant to anyone who hadn't been following the tv series or going back to his old radio mm-hmm. show or read the book last year or anything like that it was just a very good siege movie on its own and it's just I just really enjoyed it I thought it was hilarious and one of my favorite um cinema moments this year actually because I was I went with my wife and she's not really a huge Alan Partridge fan whereas I am I've kind of loved everything Steve Coogan's done um for years now and uh she, so she was sort of going into it a bit hesitant wasn't really sure whether she was gonna like it or not but she just had tears streaming down her face watching it I just thought yeah this is this is the movie that's you know this is how you do a TV series to film adaptation. And it was just, it was perfect. I think one of the best comedies I've seen for ages. Um, my second favorite film of the year. I, I was really struggling whether this would be my second or whether it'd be my first when I was trying to do the, the votes for the awards. Um, but I, I would sort of plump for a second because I think the, the, the film I've chosen as my favorite has got a bit more rewatch value to it, but the, the place beyond the pines, um, Derek mm-hmm. France, I think is I can't I never, I've never I should check how these people pronounce their names shouldn't I before <laughs> we talk about on the podcast but you know he's famous as well for Blue Valentine which he did before which also had Ryan Gosling in it and Ryan Gosling in Place Beyond the Pines was just brilliant it was a film where I watched it and I thought that he is actually a really good actor I mean he's not just one of these you know former Disney kids who's now quite famous because he had a following beforehand and now he just gets all these like big roles just because of his reputation he is actually a really good actor and I think between The Place Beyond the Point and Blue Valentine he really gets to showcase just how good he is and um, but that's not the only reason that I've picked it um I had a lot of expectations on this as well I saw the trailer in the cinema and I just thought this is I, I really have to go and see this film um, and then it wasn't shown at my local cinema, which I was a bit gutted about. And then, surprise, it was one of these films they brought in later on. And um, the, they were showing it on afternoons. The only time I could get to see it was if I booked a day off work. And I booked the last day it was showing at my local cinema. I booked that off work. And I thought, this is this has to be worth it now. All this like expectation I've placed on it, it's, it's, this has to be perfect. And it, it was literally just right on my street. It was It was just amazing i was I, it's split into three segments i know some people i know you james had a bit of an issue with the final segment 
But even that I thought was just excellent. I thought it tied everything together. Um, And yeah, I I really encourage everyone to see it because it's just one of these dramas that despite it being quite a long film, I think it's over two hours, but it's it's totally worth it. It's just, it's fantastic. Bradley Cooper. It's very much a Greek tragedy, isn't it? It's a modern Greek tragedy, yes. Uh, And and a a lot of how you react to that third act will be, will depend on how well you take to, kind of Greek mm. tragedy third act yes, I, suppose. I suppose it will yeah but I thought it was brilliant um but my final choice in the end um was Django Unchained yes and... <laughs> <laughs> see um it was released in America in 2012 so I didn't know whether I could include this or not but the UK released it I mean it wasn't released here mm-hmm. until January yeah um I actually didn't get to see it at the cinema because they closed on the day that I was booked in to see it because of snow I couldn't actually physically get to the cinema, so I didn't get to see it see it then. I was really gutted about that, but I have seen it twice since. Um, and it was the first film I watched on my sort of brand new surround sound system, which I got for my birthday, which I, I say it all the time, but I, I don't sure love going on about that because it's I really if you if you're considering getting one a surround sound system, get it. It's totally worth it. And Django Unchained is just brilliant on it. The sound effects were were fantastic, and it has a, a, an awesome film score as well. But um, yeah, no, it's just just brilliant. It's Quentin Tarantino at his best, I think, other than perhaps Pulp Fiction, which was better. I think it's his one. It's yeah, like I say, other than Pulp Fiction, it's his best film. Um, and I was really pleased. That is a brave call. Yeah, though. I, I, I'm a... going to say the exact same thing about that as well. I mean, I must... Oh, damn you both! <laughs> you hipster and tell you that Jackie Brown is clearly far superior. Well, Jackie Brown's very not good. To go, isn't it? Yeah, no, again, I, I had pretty much last, a bit like Pace with the Pines, last 45 minutes, so I had my issues. But it, it, it's full of incredible performances. And I'd, I'd agree with you in the sense that parts of the film are some of the best stuff I've ever seen Quentin Tarantino do. I'll, I'll go that. I'll meet you in the middle there and say parts of it are the best I've ever seen him. But the, see, I know people have a problem with the end, but I think without that, without it ending the way it does, um, you know, with Jamie Foxx's Django, I just don't. Oh no, not necessarily the end. I think it's the the 40 minutes that it takes to get to the end. Uh, from from a certain big well, set piece to to the end, I did the film lost me completely. I, I think Tarantino. I think it shows that Tarantino lost his usual editor, sadly due to. I must admit time. that was a problem for me as well. I think I spent the entire of that period waiting to go for a piss. <laughs> in the cinema and was just counting it down but beyond that it was beautiful but carry on yeah i think yeah no i think that part of the film i really enjoyed as well it's all part of the fall and the rise and all that stuff so yeah it needed that i think without that guardian with you though Owen, it was very very high on the guardians poll of the year as well so oh uh, what did they know film snob yeah now. yeah um, <laughs> but yeah no so that's my three um alpha papa place beyond the pines and django Okay, uh, my three, um, two are comedies. This isn't exactly the, the top three in my list, but it's, you know, talk about something different or else we'd all have the same thing, probably. Um, if you remember the summer preview we done, I was saying it's going to be a good summer for comedy. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was. It's been a good year for comedy. So two of my films in this three uh, are comedies. First is The World's End, the end of the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy, uh, written by Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, and starring Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, uh, on a pub crawl to save the world. Well, they don't really save the world at the end. Spoiled it for everyone now. But 
mm-hmm. a pub crawl between friends. It all goes wrong. Um, some fantastic performances, especially the two lead roles, as ever, as funny as ever. And if you've got the, the DVD or Blu-ray, the trivia tracks back, so that's brilliant. Yeah, I saw you tweeting. Was you tweeting about that? Was it on the Football 365 forum? So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't own it on DVD, but it's great when the extras are worth it, aren't they? Are the extra, the extras. I've got the whole the Cornetto Free Flavors box set now, and the extras on all of them are brilliant. Hmm. Um, the other one was This Is The End. Good show. Post-apocalyptic comedies were big this year. <laughs> uh, when, you know, it's basically a load of actors playing exaggerated versions of themselves while the world's ending around them. And it, it could have gone horribly wrong, if they, but they seemed to kind of realise that they needed to take the mick out of themselves. And, and it worked really well, and it was consistently funny throughout, even on repeat viewings. Um, yeah, like I said, it's, it was a bit concerned. Even though the trailer looked good, it was a bit concerning going in that they might, they might be all a bit up themselves and up each other, you know, brown nosing each other and um, kind of just backslapping mm. themselves to death. But it was, it was really funny, and they did well just playing themselves. I'm, I'm glad you put that in there, Steve, because I, I thought this film took a bit of a shellacking uh, when it opened from a lot of people who. Basically, I think it wasn't what people expected. I think that would be a fair thing to say. But I've seen it again since, and I, I, honestly, I really, really enjoyed this. And I think it's the deepest, most personal film of the entire trilogy. And it may not have as many gags as the other two films, but I think this is possibly... I've the... moved on to this. He's moved end. on, to, yeah. Oh, sorry. Do you know what? I was having a bit of problems because another version of my Skype started up. So <laughs> Shambolic! <laughs> Sorry, yeah, uh, anyway, yeah, The World's End was good. Uh, what was the next one? You were <laughs> I was, I was, I was... <laughs> it was the other one with The World, uh, This Is The End, yeah, that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was good as well. It was probably the most personal one. To be fair, that kind of does fit. It, it's more personal than uh, Pineapple Express and um, 21 Jump Street. Uh, Knocked Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's more, per- yeah, it's, it's a more personal film. <laughs> Because they're playing themselves. Fuck. <laughs> Edit it out. It's fine. I can't be bothered though. <laughs> I'm not going to search this out and edit it. I'm clearly just going to leave it. Don't, don't you make notes of where things go wrong and then you can. No, no, them. no. I just listen yeah. through and hope that I find them. <laughs> I, Trade secret people. I couldn't imagine listening back to this rubbish twice. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to salvage that one for you ever so slightly. As uh, yeah. I only watched this for the first time a few weeks ago. I got it on uh, Blu-ray for my birthday, and uh, I found it absolutely hilarious. It's just it's very silly, very simple humour. Really good fun. Uh, there's some cracking cameos in it and some genuine laugh out loud moments. So, yeah, I'm glad someone's managed to put that in there somewhere, not taking their list too seriously. So, yeah, that is a cracking, good fun film. And Jonah Hill seems to be brilliant in everything I see him in at the moment. Yes, his, yeah. Um, and he, and he, for Wolf of Wall Street as and well, he, I think. Yeah. And he's mixing it up as well. He's not just doing, because obviously he made his name in comedies with Super Bad. But he's he's branching out and doing a whole you know a lot yeah, of different. A bit like Jim Carrey, isn't he? He's, he can do both now. He's proven that he can do serious as well as funny. He's he's on top form. He was very good in Moneyball, which you know obviously a lot of people. I need to see that. Oh, Moneyball's great. Um, 
But yeah, and I thought he was doing the same thing in Wolf of Wall Street. But the more I hear about Wolf of Wall Street, the more it sounds like it's a three-hour out-and-out comedy. Mm. Um, which I'm really interested. Scorsese doing a really funny out-and-out comedy. But he looks really good just in the trailer for that as well. So no, I'm a big fan of Jack the Hill. I like him a lot. And 22 Jump Street looks great as well. And, and the final film in, in my triple bill is not a comedy this time. It's Rush, the Formula One uh, film by Ron Howard that tells the story of the um, championship title race in the 70s between James Hunt, played by Chris Hemsworth, and Nicky Lauda, played by Daniel Bruhl. Um, it's it's a sport that probably takes well to cinema, especially after, I know it's a documentary, but especially after the success of uh, Senna. Uh, both, both of the main actors are excellent, portraying the, the, the very different but you know, in terms of ambition, the same, but very different in how they go about it. Um, Hemsworth playing Hunt, who's the the maverick playboy, who kind of just it would it would appear, obviously it's not true, but it appears he just gets in the car, races, takes a load of risks and wins, compared to Lauda, who is meticulous in his planning and you know has everything in his car down to a perfection to win. And, and it's really the two actors and their the differences in the two characters that make that film, but visually and and the sound, it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, it was one of my surprises of the year. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did, that, but I thought it was um, it was great. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. it. Although I was really, really looking forward. Unlike Owen, I thought it would be amazing, and I thought it was very, very good. Um, uh, it, period detailing, it was fantastic though. It really felt like a 70s movie you got that sense of fun and you're exactly right steve um formula one it's fast cars racing around it you know it's a really cinematic sport which is great considering how boring the real stuff is on tv yeah but it was, it was um, more exciting then because even though it yeah, was people could yeah. literally burn their face off and yeah. stuff like that people, so, yes. people people don't die in formula one anymore which is great but no. it, it, it's good for yeah, them obviously yeah, for them, not for us it, it makes it boring yeah. yeah, and and all these extra rules and regulations and back then, it, yeah, again, it was just it it was far more about man and machine against each other rather than a whole constructors crew and. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I but think yeah. what we should do is is petition to like a, a real life version of Jason Statham's um, Death Race. Let's get that happening. Yes, right? yes, yeah. That see, people. Uh, the thing is, people would watch Death Race. They so clearly would. That's why it's such a good satire. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, Jerry, what is, what's your your three? Okay, so mine slightly different. I know James went for things that were cinematic and and meant something. My criteria were more: what were the three best experiences I had in the cinema this year? So when did I, nice. I walked out of the cinema thinking, God, that was good? Like I really enjoyed that. So it's just your, by my list. <laughs> yeah, pure enjoyment. So reverse order, number three. Was Despicable Me too. Nice. Yeah, I've still not seen that. I've still not seen it. Yeah, I wrote about it on the site. It was just one of those cinema experiences where it was funny, it was charming, there was a lot to like about it, there wasn't really any significant flaws that overshadowed any of it. I mean, it's not a perfect kids' movie. It's not the best kids' movie, but it was a fantastic experience. It was made slightly better, I will admit, by the fact that there was a cinema full of kids who, who just, if you <laughs> ever go watch kids' films where there's funny toddlers and five-year-olds in there and they shout things out halfway through and you can hear the joy when they're laughing at the jokes, it adds to the experience a bit. And that's kind of 
one of the better things about a cinema as well is when you're in a good cinema audience, it really enhances a film. Um, so I was fortunate in that respect. Number two, again, went for pure cinematic enjoyment. I think it was a really close call between two and one. They're pretty much interchangeable and they changed position a number of times over the last sort of couple of weeks while I was making choices. Um, but it was Gravity. Mm-hmm. which yeah i think as a filmmaking sort of cinematic experience was pretty much unparalleled apart from my number one choice i think the the technical side of things the more you look into that as well although i advise if you haven't seen it don't read up too much on it before you see it let the mm-hmm. film sort of wow you and then find out how it wowed you rather than going yeah. in and still try and catch it in a cinema because it's still showing in some cinemas near me so still try and catch it in a cinema while you can as well i, I think that would be an absolute must wouldn't it Jeff? I, yeah I, absolutely. I, I think it'd lose so much watching it on your 32 inch you know hd screen at home it would lose mm, yeah. it would lose so much it's one of the films that i don't ever want to see again unless i see it in the cinema and in 3D as well. I think the 3D... Yeah, yeah, the 3D was yeah. great, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those rare things where a 3D actually added to it, let's be honest. Mm. It was better mm. with 3D than without watching. Yeah. Um, I, I hate 3D. Mm. I really detest... I detest paying for it as well. Um, mm. When I don't usually like it. You know, I hate having to pay extra for something that doesn't add anything to a film. That, Plus one. Yeah, yeah, but that, it added to it, and I was... Yeah. afterwards i thought you know what i'm glad i paid that extra money to watch that in 3d because it, it improved my experience speaking yeah. speaking of that cinema has not yet uh listened to my invention for <laughs> alternate for 3d glasses and which is basically in front you know for honest, oh yeah <laughs> attack <laughs> i knew what it was i just wanted steve to explain it again. rather than everyone having to wear annoying glasses which is fine if you wear glasses you're used to it but you know People who don't, it's annoying. So on the seat in front of you, like on that bit, is a is a thing that goes up, which is just the same material, the same thing as 3D glass lenses, but you don't have to wear it. So you just look through that. I don't see how that wouldn't work. The 3D window. Also, I love how Steve's called it an invention. It's basically <laughs> a few sentences of an idea. <laughs> I don't think you can patent that. I'll try. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Jerry, carry on. So number one choice, as I say, it was really tight and they switched positions. But number one was Les Mis. Yes! Again. <laughs> the fact that I made you all go and see it is finally worth it. Well, that's the thing about it as well. I went into this resenting you enormously for making me watch a musical. I was even, you know, sat there in the dark waiting for while the trailers were on. And I turned to my girlfriend and I said, I can't believe I've paid money come and watch a fucking musical this is this <laughs> rubbish and i was expecting it to be two and a half hours or however long it is of just dirge that i was not going to enjoy i knew that there wasn't any dialogue or talking in it i just thought there's no way i'm going to enjoy this i'll just have to sit through it and then i can tear holes out of it on the podcast and i bloody loved it <laughs> yes it was awesome genuinely awesome i mean you've covered pretty much everything about it um I think the one thing I will say to, to to add to it is that, again, it it benefited from being on a big screen with a, a cracking sound system. Owen probably will watch the shit out of this because he's got his epic sound system. <laughs> um, but it was just fantastic. And I think the storyline as well, I hadn't given credit for quite how multi-layered and complex and brilliant the story is. 
Um, the, the original novel, I can't say as I've read it, but it's obviously a fantastic adaptation and they've kept mm. quite a good deal of complexity and subtlety to it whilst also keeping some real standout, you know, overt politicism to it. Um, it helps that I agreed with a lot of it. I, you know, I, I feel the similar sentiments to a lot of it. And I think it was very timely as well with the the atmosphere at the moment in society of, you know, the, the idea of the 1% and that becoming more and more public and, and the, you know, citizens becoming more and more aware that there is an elite that is controlling things and that's becoming more and more popular in the press and then you know you had your, your russell brand moment later in the year and oh the... god that, that rubbish yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm all what? i'm all for it it was just like jeremy paxton was going so what's the alternative oh, i don't know do some fucking research before you go on <laughs> wow say so, i did not expect the podcast mm, to go in this direction well, you know, tonight. if you're going on you know you're going to get asked what alternative is well i'm not an expert myself but i've been reading up on matey who said this is an alternative and i like the sound of that he should have at least said you know what grab a red flag get out in the streets let's and start singing <laughs> start, yeah let's start making some bloody barricades well i think it's the fact that it, it's not just, you know, a historical drama that has no relevance for the modern world. It seemed very relevant, even though it's quite striking and different. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very relevant. I just think overall, the quality of the filmmaking, the quality of the performances, the variety to it as well, I think it's what just edged it from gravity. I think because there was such an outstanding cast performance from this rather than, you know, two people, which is inherent in the film, but it just about edged it. And I think the, the surprise element of it as well, just... yeah. I'm so pleased to hear that. I, I, I'm genuine. I, I, I hope when I said right, we're having that as a main review. I just genuinely hoped that you, none of you, would hate it. And so I was, re- I'm really pleased that it had that effect on you, that kind of cinematic experience, Jerry, because that's kind of what I hoped for. So that's fantastic. Still not watched any other musicals though. No, no, no. That you don't need any more after Les Mis. That was honest. A bunch of film snobs. <laughs> Singing is the lowest form of entertainment. <laughs> I think that's this podcast, Steve. No, uh, Matt, what, what's your list? Okay, much uh, similar to, to Jerry's list, mine is based predominantly on pure sort of cinematic entertainment rather than the, the technical production values that the films involve. At least for, for two of the three. The one and number three probably falls into the, the former category ever so slightly, and that's Zero Dark Thirty. Mm. which is a film I had very low expectations for. I didn't think that Catherine Bigelow would be able to repeat the experience of the Hurt Locker in such spectacular fashion, but I feel she did exactly that with this film. Um, It's a perfect example, I think, of how you would dramatise a story that you already know the ending to, and I think that's quite an achievement in itself, given that everyone's fully familiar with the circumstances in regards to how the film ends um, but they don't really understand fully how it sort of reached those ends. Uh, I think it, it portrayed that excellently. I think it's a really well-paced movie. It kept me gripped throughout, even from the first instance with those inglorious interrogation scenes, spoiler alert, and whatnot if you've not seen it already, but it's it's pretty brutal. Mm. And um, again, if you've seen The Hurt Locker, you pretty much have a good idea of what to expect from this. It's It's very much no holds but or doesn't hold back certainly doesn't paint 
the US government and armed forces and all that sort of stuff in a good light whatsoever. So it's uh, certainly not been kind to them on, on any point whatsoever. But um, it'll be interesting to see what Kathleen Bigelow does with her next sort of world conflict that she seems to be make, carving out a, uh, a sort of niche career for herself for and directing films in regards to those circumstances, whether that's Syria or what's happening in South Sudan at the moment or something like that. Yeah. But um, no, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Do you know what, as well, no one does an explosion quite like Catherine Bigelow at the moment as well. She is, in terms of the action set pieces of that film are absolutely shockingly brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, I, the final part is what's for me to get it onto my list of my final choices. Yeah, on that the point, awards. the only reason it made my, my list was because of that final scene. Mm. But if it was a half an hour final scene only film and i didn't have to sit through the shit with some rubbish actress getting loads of plaudits from the oh dear oh, i was kicking off now <laughs> i wouldn't be happier about it but it made it on for that set piece that's i did think it's a bit of a reverse django where um i got i i'll be honest i'm a little bit with you a bit of a reverse django and that for an hour and a half i was like i don't see what the whole big deal about this is and then the final 40 minutes i'm like all oh, right now i get going so um yeah it, it's it's a negative Django. Yeah, there I, we go. I mean, I'm trademarking that. I personally enjoyed it throughout, although I appreciate it, it definitely peaks at a crescendo at the end, which it should do. And I think it delivers good value in that respect. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, my second one, I'm not going to steal too much of Owen's thunder on this, but it is Django. I um, managed to watch this in the cinema at the time. Thank God I'll man cinema for doing something right for a change. <laughs> and uh, I watched it on uh, the evening of Christmas Eve just to reaffirm that my first time round experience was as good as I remembered it being. And my God, it was. Mm. Um, my only criticism of Django, as we've touched on, is that it's slightly too long. Um, they could easily cut that down ever so slightly. And I don't think it would lose a tremendous amount, in my opinion. But... It's another Tarantino film that delivers a wonderfully dialogue-driven, character-building uh, group of, of characters. And you add the, the layer of violence that goes on top of that just for pure, pure entertainment value. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, the cast is great. I particularly enjoyed DiCaprio as Candy, who I think is absolutely fantastic. Mm. In it. I mean, he's such a twat. <laughs> he's such a likable twat at the same time yeah. he's absolutely yeah. wonderful to watch and uh, as per any other uh, Tarantino movie the soundtrack's oh so cool as well so yeah another thoroughly enjoyable cinematic experience with Django and the first one it's a little bit glory hunting it's certainly um, less technically impressive than a lot of the other films you guys were talking about but I loved Pacific Rim I'm going to hold my hands up. You can, you can say what you like. I fucking love Pacific Rim. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get this on, on Blu-ray when it came out. Um, it's basically Power Rangers for adults. It's, 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 it's epic battles. It's great use of CGI on a large scale. Pure cinematic fun. The plot is ridiculously bad. Who gives a shit? It's nothing complicated about it, and it was equally as good the second time around viewing it and it's something i'm definitely going to watch repeatedly in the future absolutely loved it i think it touches me more than probably some people would care to admit and putting it towards the top of their list because uh in the past i'm a massive godzilla movie fan i've seen pretty much all of the old japanese movies 
And once I saw this one, I went and rewatched um, the Godzilla Millennium series, which started in 1999 and led up to sort of the later uh, year 2000 movies before uh, it's gotten snatched up by America again for another remake. But um, yeah, it, it certainly touched a certain part of me, whether that's the juvenile side of me, the inner child, whatever. But love Pacific Rim. I've got no shame in admitting it was my favourite film of the year. In your defence as well, that I, that was four on my list. So good one, that's what I mean. <laughs> it was I'm right. glad I'm not alone in that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've still got. I, I, I said I have my issues with Pacific Rim at the time, and, and I, I still say the same. When when it was giant ass robots beating up giant ass space aliens in the sea, it was fucking incredible. Um, when it came to two people talking about their hard childhood and stuff like that, I wanted to tear my hair out. <laughs> yeah, the dialogue was not the best, was it? <laughs> no, the, the, the no but it was, it was a visual spectacular. It um, and it was really nice to see a monster movie set in that area of the world. And that was quite nice. And I think that leads quite nicely into kind of Godzilla next year and you know the return of big monster movies which which is a good thing uh so that's our that's our um best films of the year a couple of other questions for everyone uh james we'll start off with you as we started with you mm-hmm. last time what was your biggest disappointment of the year biggest disappointment of the year pretty much has to be stoker um i was really really excited to see uh is it Park? Ch- Park I Chan never. Know, yeah. It's Park Chan Wook. I never know which way around yeah. they go. Park Chan Wook's um, English language directorial debut. Um, Old Boy is one of my favourite films of the last ten years. Um, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, I really like as well. But uh, I, I was just so disappointed. It. It was. It was visually very good, and there was some great sound engineering going on it. But the story itself could have been from any old kind of... Um, it was almost as yeah. if a mediocre TV actor had written the script. Uh, yes. Well, yes, there we go. Yes, Wendell... Is it Wendell Pierce? Wentworth Miller. From- Wentworth Miller. Who the hell's Wendell Pierce? <laughs> <laughs> there is, there is no one called Wendell Pierce. <laughs> now, do you know what? I think Wendell Pierce is a character that Luke Wilson plays in the film that Luke Wilson wrote. But anyway... Um, wow. Did you not yeah, like uh, Matthew Good in it, though? I thought he was tremendously creepy. I just thought he was... I th- I'll be honest, I thought it was a bit no, high camp. When, Wendell Pierce played, de- yeah. de- played Detective Bunk Morland in The Wire. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> so he's a real person, yeah. that's fine. But it wasn't him. Please don't associate him with this utter turd of a film. Do you know, bits? it just felt like um, one of those early 90s erotic thrillers with slightly better direction i i I really wanted it and a lot of this is because my expectations were really really high and i just i I just walked out of the screening it was at glasgow film festival walked out and i just i walked up to people and went what was that and i was with a group of people and we afterwards we we had no idea what that was about apart from just being a bit rubbish Pardon? Worst film of the year for me. By that was so worst. Oh, okay. I'm really me, disappointed that, about that because I really uh, this year, like be, partly because of you and your recommendations of I was pushing it so much. I've sort of become a fan of Park Chan Wook. 
so I still haven't seen Stoker, but I'm really quite keen to see it, despite everyone saying that. For what it's worth, Owen, I really liked it. Some people love it. It's got a lot of critic lists this year. It's really been top. I think Empire had it in their top. Empire had it in their top ten. It's got an admirable creepiness to it that I quite like. And I think... Mia, what's her name, Makowska, or whatever her name is. If you've seen the uh, the TV series In Treatment, where she plays an absolute maniac patient with a psychiatrist, and then you see her in this, you just realise what a tremendous actress she is. I really enjoyed she it. She was very good. She was very good. Um, I just, for me, the story was all over the place. And sometimes, and I'm I'm terrible for this. Sometimes I can excuse a terrible story because I like the visuals. Um, and I'm doing exactly the opposite here. The visuals were fantastic, but I just did it didn't engage me in any shape whatsoever. And like I say, I was so excited about it. And yeah, so that's my biggest disappointment, Steve. Okay, how about your um your worst film? My worst film, for ages, I've had it up there. It was going to be Run for Your Wife starring Danny Dyer, but it feels, <laughs> it feels like picking a puppy. It really, like, you know, there, there's no reason re- for me to put that as a A really place. cockney, sweary puppy. Yeah, yeah, a really fucking gobby puppy. He's in, he's uh, in EastEnders now. I know, yeah. Danny Dyer's in EastEnders. Yeah, he's the new landlord of the Vic. That's one of the four horsemen of the fucking apocalypse, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's almost yeah. enough to make you watch EastEnders, isn't it? Does he call everyone a slag in it? He, he should do. He re- I, I hope it goes really properly gangster. Um, but it, it, the fact is, I, I can't, in all good conscience, pile on more misery. Because clearly they're going to be listening to this. And so I, I refuse to pile on more misery. So I'm going to say it's Diana, which was an utter, unmitigated turd of a film from the director of Downfall. That's... And starring the Oscar nominated, and I can't. Even, she might have. Has she ever won an Oscar? I, I, Naomi no. Watts, anyway. Yeah, really talented actress and a really talented director. And fuck knows how they made this such a mess. It is a horrible, ugly, clunky film full of stupid tropes and um, anachronistic nonsense. And it tries to make out that uh, there was. Yeah, oh, do you know, I'm so angry about this film still. I'm so angry that I sat through it. Uh, still don't know why. I still don't know why. Let's talk about your 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 biggest yes. biggest pleasant surprise then. Biggest pleasant surprise for me actually was We're the Millers. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed We're the Millers, the comedy starring Jason Sakaidis, Jennifer Aniston, um, the lad from um, Son of Rambo and that Dexter Fletcher film. Uh Wild Bill, can't remember his name now, and Emma Roberts, I think, um, and Ed Helms as well. I, I, it looked like it would be a terrible kind of American cheap road movie comedy type thing, and what I ended up watching was a National Lampoon's Vacation for up this generation. Uh, honestly, really, really very, very funny film. Uh, I watched it again on home video, uh, home video. <laughs> Like wow. in the 80s <laughs> yeah uh, i watched the extended version and there was a, there was um sadly cut out of the theatrical version was a little cameo from ben folds as well uh which was a real i was like oh my god that's ben folds there um no really really very funny film and jennifer aniston is still a very funny comic actress and i hope she gets more work okay owen oh, same three questions to you mm-hmm. um but a little bit quicker if we can, because we've probably got to move on a bit. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. 
So yes, uh, biggest uh, disappointment. Biggest disappointment. There were a few that I was that I was going to pick from. Uh, Upstream Colour, I was a bit disappointed by. Um, to the Wonder as yeah. well. I just don't think I get Malik films, Terence Malik films. I just yeah. don't think they, they do it for me. Even John dies at the end, which I was waiting ages for. Um, oh, did you finally see it? I did see it this year, yeah. and I it... was a bit disappointed. It wasn't quite what I expected it to be. Uh, but anyway, my biggest disappointment is actually Wreck-It Ralph. I thought the film that's kind of aimed boo. at people like me. <laughs> <Get> <laughs> <out>. <laughs> uh, I was really disappointed. I'm I mean, I'm, I'm kind disappointed of... in you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not angry, Owen, but I am disappointed. <laughs> disappointed. Yeah. I'm uh, not angry. Yeah. I'm furious. <laughs> well, yeah. What can I say? I thought it would make more use of the characters that it had at its disposable than it did. Um, instead, it was just a very generic kids movie with a really straightforward A to Z plot and just wasn't very funny i think that's so, the main for, problem i had with for, it for our, for our horde of new listeners who don't know Owen, he's a fucking misery i am a misery, <laughs> misery he hates star wars he hates die hard he hates anything fun that's really harsh because i do like die hard star wars is shit but you can keep that but die hard I, i'm i'm objecting to that uh <laughs> But, um, yeah, so Wreck-It Ralph, I guess, won in the end. Well, I was also a little bit disappointed at Elysium. I thought that was mm. going to be one of the sort of guest films of the year. And although I did enjoy it, it wasn't... Considering how good District 9 was. It was no District 9, no was District it? no District 9, yeah. Uh, uh, what about your, your pleasant surprise? My pleasant surprise? Um, <laughs> I was considering Quartet, which was... Um, so Billy Connolly and Dame Maggie Smith and so that, because I thought that would just be a, a very generic, um, more mature comedy for, you know, grandmas and granddads sort of thing. But it was really actually quite a funny film, really brilliantly acted. But I'm going for G.I. Joe Retaliation, mainly because that I had my expectation was <laughs> right at the bottom for that, considering how awful the first film is. Um, yeah. But I kind of really enjoyed it. I was sitting there in the cinema. I said on the podcast as well. It was like being a kid and just playing with action figures. That's that's the kind of feelings it invoked in me. Um, I thought The Rock was brilliant in it. Um, yeah. He just was just a great character. Roadblock, I think. Not great character in terms of there's a lot of depth to him. <laughs> but he just, for this type of film... this this a Really good screen presence. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's got Acting a... toward the force. <laughs> thanks steve uh, but yeah that was kind of one of my i thought it would be a bit like transformers you know really shit can't really tell what's going on in any of the action scenes um but it wasn't it was just just a really dumb popcorn movie that was quite fun and what's the other one i've got to pick my my worst film worst. my worst film see again i was thinking well i've watched a few blockbusters you know sharknado um Atlantic Rim. Atlantic Rim is just terrible. That's just people running away from things the camera's not pointing at. But <laughs> the worst film that I saw in the cinema uh, was Runner Runner with Ben Affleck and Justin Timberlake. That was. Mm. I know that's sort of more Matt's domain because it's about poker. But honestly, that was pff, terrible. Within 10 minutes in the cinema, I was just kind of looking at my watch thinking, how much longer is there left to go? And I, all throughout the film, it was just this awful 
dialogue, a really just ridiculous plot and twists that didn't didn't matter. It would have a twist in it, and it just made no difference to the actual plot. It was what was yeah. the point? What's the point? It's just really shallow, very just a bog standard, a boring film. Yeah, Runner Runner was yeah. was terrible. I haven't I haven't brought myself to get around to watching Runner Runner yet, purely because I know how bad it's going to be. And it's, it's, and it's kind of sacrilege because it's it's been sort of concocted together by people involved in making rounders. If you've ever seen that, it's sort of like, okay, yeah. it's the holy grail of, of poker movies for poker players. And the fact mm. that they've gone and done this basically because I didn't realise they were behind it. Oh, that's yeah, they're, weird they're involved and bad. And why they've done that instead of just doing the direct sequel to rounders, which apparently is going to happen at some point. They should have just left it alone. And I think it's just. Um, it's just one of those um, self-glorifying things for someone like Ben Affleck and Justin Timberlake, who are apparently the sort of into poker and the sort of Hollywood celebrity scene. Yeah, possibly. And, I mean, uh, what, what it was like was if you imagine something like The Transporter, but someone's taken all of the action scenes out of it. There's not, you know, there's hardly anything in there that it could be considered action. With very basic log, a very you know, kind of straight script without any exciting bits in it. That's pretty much what Runner Runner was like. Yeah. So, and, yeah, and, I just... and another shame of it is it, it's actually based on a fascinating subject matter, the massive sort of poker fraud that happened yeah. between the years of like 2005, 2007 and eight. They could have done all sorts of good stuff with it and by all accounts, they've absolutely ruined it. So I think it deserves all of the, um, the tearing apart that, that yeah, Owen Riley gives it. So fair enough. Yeah, it is okay. terrible. Well, I'm going to ask these three questions to myself and give you the answers. <laughs> uh, my, my, my biggest disappointment and biggest pleasant surprise are the, are the same film. Doesn't make Whoa. doesn't make any sense. Blown your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Bear with me. Biggest pleasant surprise was Les Mis, pretty much for exactly the same reason as Jerry had it in his in his top three. But biggest disappointment. Actually, I've changed. It's more of a biggest annoyance. But I thought when I went in there, I thought, well, I'm not going to like this. It's going to be rubbish. But at least the people in here are going to be well behaved. The kind of people going to watch Les Mis <laughs> are going to be like well behaved cinema goers. Worst cinema audience I've been in, other than a children's film. They were wow. they were talking all the way through it, singing. You know, bad enough they're singing on the bloody screen. I don't want you sat behind me singing as well. <laughs> You know, chatting all the way through it. You know, going, oh, I know what happens. This is the bit. Just fuck off. Worst cinema audience ever. Lay Miz wouldn't have thought it going in. That was my was, biggest was it disappointment. Was when that massive fat guy came and sat next to you in an empty cinema? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was well. That no, that was that was just. That might have been Lay Miz as that well, though. Creepy. I think that was Lay Miz. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Lay Miz as well, actually, which made it even worse. Because it wasn't it wasn't empty, but it wasn't it wasn't even like half full. But like, and it, and it was clearly a sit anywhere ticket. So why sit next to me? Why you know? But then you can't get up and walk off because then he knows what. Actually, I don't know why I didn't because I don't. I'm never going to see him again. Why do I care? With his, fucking na- with his nachos resting on his gut. Oh fuck! <laughs> I hate. I just hate people. Um. Uh, my worst film was was World War Z because while while it wasn't a particularly terrible film, it just ruined the book. Okay, good book. Book was shit. Really. Oh, 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 grumble, grumble. 
Is this what this has become now? This is how you get more <laughs> listeners, isn't it? You just get Owen to say controversial, stupid stuff. Yeah. I don't even think it's yeah. controversial. Owen's it's just guys. terrible. Owen's starting to troll. Oh, yeah, okay. definitely. <laughs> Owen's now got a load of new listeners to wind up, and yeah. he loves it. <laughs> uh, Jerry, what's, what was your worst film? The worst film, as I said, was Stoker by an absolute mile. <laughs> Complete dog shit of a film. I'm not even going to go into any further. It was just awful. Um, and, and believe me, I like sort of wanky films. I like a bit of pretentious filmmaking. That was just shit filmmaking with a terrible storyline and just all round awful. Um, biggest disappointment, though, was Only God Forgives. Mm. No. Crossover. <laughs> was that I was so excited for Only God Forgives. Love Drive, love Gosling. It was just, I love Nicholas White. Let's be honest. Oh, don't start! Don't start going gay for Goslin again. Oh. <laughs> um, so I was really excited. Thought, fucking yes, love this kind of film. Seeing the place beyond the pines, which he was in, which had a, you know, I thought would have a similar vibe. Um, it was just so bad. It was, it, I was, I, I left. I actually left. Um, watching Only God Forgives, which is, whoa, yeah, really? I never, I never leave films. You're, you're just like the snooty film critics in Cannes, then. That, that that's that's who you're with now because loads of people walked out in Cannes as well. Yeah, do you know what it was? It was just simply I, I was sat there and I thought, do you know what? I've got better things to do than watch this crap. It's, it's the just only too it's I've just too long between anything happening in it and when it does yeah. happen, it's not very good. Nothing happened for about 25 minutes, right? And then they clearly went for this climactic bit, which I won't go into. Um, they tried to do something a bit big to try and jog it along, and it was pants. So I just thought, I've got better shit to do. I keep trying to mount a defence of this film and I keep ending up basically going, yeah, but it's got a samurai sword copper who sings karaoke. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I can't quite explain why I, I did really enjoy this film, but I did and I, I do. But I can understand why people absolutely hated it as well. Right. So I, I love ultraviolet films as well. It was just this one. Yeah. Good one. It just wasn't. And there was nothing good about it apart from Gosling, the good looking lad. That's about it. What about Kristen Scott Thomas? She was very good in it, wasn't uh, she? See, she grated on me quite a lot. They all grated on me. The whole experience grated on me. Um, the Thai girl he tells to undress, she was pretty hot. If you want, <laughs> if you want, if you want a saving grace. Yeah. Yeah, it looked both. really good as well. I think I, I sort of fall between the two of you. I didn't think it was brilliant, but I didn't hate it either. But I thought the, the way it looked, if there's anything mm. to sort of give it credit, it's, you know, its use of colours. Again, Nicholas one in reference uh, use of colours again was just I thought it looked fantastic. I think it felt a bit too much like oh, I'm just going to do this because it was so cool and driving. Look, I can just do this. Joe, uh, have you it, seen Valhalla Rising? Yeah, I like it. Really like. It. Oh really? Oh, because I I I would have thought if you liked Valhalla, I preferred this to Valhalla Rising. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. This was supposed to be like a reju not rejuvenation. What's the sort of word I'm looking for? Just to bring reimagining. That yeah, reimagining of that, that same character, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but I just there was something about this that didn't work in the way that Valhalla Rising did. I, I don't know why. I, you know, I, I might watch it again and think actually this isn't as bad as I thought, but just didn't enjoy it at all. And I was really looking forward to it. Um, biggest pleasant surprise, as I've said, obviously Les Mis, because I went in expecting to hate it and I loved it. What? Okay, uh, Matt, your your list. Yeah, I think Jerry's pretty much read my notes word for word on it. God forgives. <laughs> Which is my worst film, and whoa, and <laughs> yeah, um, 
and biggest disappointment at the same time. Um, exactly like Jerry, big fan of Drive, like the Gosling, all good. I was really fired up for watching this. Didn't get to see it at the cinema, so I bought it on Blu-ray. Sat down to watch it with my wow. missus, and I was like, you're going to really like this, you're going to really like this, because I've been telling her to watch Drive, and she never got around to it. And we both sat there watching this, just looking at each other, going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, before I, I rip it any further, I'll, I'll just touch on what Owen said, the use of colour in the film, so beautiful. Oh, my God, the best use of neon since Blade Runner by far, which I think you is something think I put out on Twitter. Forced, it felt what, sorry? forced i just thought the whole all the color stuff felt a bit forced it was like he was trying to make up for the fact that nothing happened by putting colors on things i don't know you I should mean, be a director it was, I don't know no, it was um, trying to be psychedelic or, or whatever it, it, it worked for me in that respect I mean, i've got no problem with the sort of like uh, set design or whatever and and the, the neon karaoke aspects which shame like so much about it but it just doesn't do anything for me beyond that i didn't connect to any of the characters in it it dragged on for too long even though it's not a particularly long movie i literally just couldn't wait for it to end and it's incredibly disappointing and now it's sat in my blu-ray collection i can't really do much about it so yeah fucking hate that film it's unlikely to ever get watched again although maybe given that some people rate it quite highly maybe i should give it another try some but do you know what i i even when I like a film, I, life's too short. There's too many great films you might like out there. Don't rewatch a film that you hated the first time. Uh, that'd be it's a bit of life advice for everyone out there. Yeah. So that was my worst and, and biggest disappointment. So straight on to my biggest surprise of the film of the year, and it's one that was totally not on my radar in terms of being interested in seeing it until you guys reviewed it, and I happened to catch it on a uh, flight to Vegas, thinly veiled brag. <clears throat> <laughs> and uh, that was side effects. Yeah. Mm. Which, um, a massive surprise to me. Again, the casting for it was really, really strong, especially considering someone like Channon Tatum, who's gone from being a bit of a joke and starring in, you know, mm. sort of bad sort of MMA movies to actually carving out some really good performances for himself. But he doesn't appear in a lot of the film, but he was decent in it. Um, the twists of the film are fantastic. I'm not going to go into them in detail because if people haven't seen it, they need to be left alone so they can enjoy yeah. it to the full. Um, but um, it's a great sign off for Soderbergh. I think I remember you guys saying it was going to be his last film. And if that's, yeah, apparently so. If that's the case, he's done a really fucking good job. So yeah. big thumbs up there. I also voted uh, Rooney Mara for the leading uh, female of the year for her role as a true, true psychotic. You, know, you can shove your bunny boiler up, up your arse from a fatal attraction and whatnot. She is absolutely brilliant in this film. And uh, a little bit of eye candy as Catherine Zeta-Jones as a sort of maniac lesbian. Always a good thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, it was uh, right up there for me, side effects. I think that was one of the most surprising films. If it hadn't been for Les Mis, that was one of those films where I didn't didn't expect much of it. I think I'd heard like Owen and James said, oh, it's quite good actually, you know. Mm. We hadn't really gone into it in too much detail. And then, wow, superb film. Yeah, I got to see it with no expectations in the cinema. I really enjoyed it. I watched it with, I rewatched it on Christmas Day. It was oh, right. Christmas Day evening. Yeah. Um, or was it Christmas? No, it was Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve family viewing with uh, Kate and her parents. Um, her mum fell asleep, didn't like it at all. Um, Kate really enjoyed it. Her dad, um, was just trying to predict it the whole way through. Uh, right. it, 
Uh, yeah, just like constantly going, well, why has she done that then? Oh, why is he doing that then? Oh, well, that's because of that. So that was a bit But annoying. it's got that kind yeah. of vibe to it, isn't it? I mean, I, but it has. I said it was it's, like a Hitchcockian thriller directed by Soderbergh. It's very Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really liked it. It was a great little film. Just and a shout out as well um, for, for Jude Law. You might not make anyone sort of top three best males of the year for that film, but it was, it was a <laughs> strong <laughs> Yeah. Well. Excuse me. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, just very quickly then, uh, we asked a few of these questions on Twitter, so I'm just going to go through a few of our wonderful followers and what they said. So, at uh, Brooker411 said that his biggest surprise was Evil Dead. He went in expecting typical tone down remake garbage, really enjoyed it. Um, at Kate Diamond's biggest disappointment was when Russell Crowe couldn't sing. Um, at Duke's biggest surprise was Philomena, which I really liked as well. His biggest disappointment was Monsters University and The World's End. Um, at Tyler002, Jackson Tyler, his uh, biggest surprise was G.I. Joe Retaliation. Great fun. Uh, biggest disappointment was Upstream Colour, which Owen kind of touched on earlier as well. Um at the ugliest fraud said biggest surprise spring breakers boo spring breakers was a terrible film right. um, <laughs> and his biggest disappointment was hunger games catching fire um biggest surprise from s welsh 20 at s welsh 20 would be the battery i don't know that mm, don't know that one either. um biggest disappointment was prisoners and that's one of the films that i missed out on but i heard very good things about yeah. um at Gustav underscore Roman, his biggest surprise was This Is The End. His biggest disappointment, Only God Forgives. Yeah, that's, you know, starting to get a theme there as well. Um, At Pork Chop Excess said his biggest disappointment of the year was The Bling Ring, Sophia Coppola's film. His biggest surprise was White House Down, uh, which I've not seen because I think I I watched Olympus Has Fallen. I'm I'm only watching one Die Hard in the White House film I this year. I liked was fallen, although it was ridiculously cheesy. It was utterly ridiculous, yeah. Um, and then finally, at Scaly Tugboat, said that his biggest disappointment was Rush. Mm. Um, and his biggest surprise was either Iron Man 3 or Alpha Papa. So that's everyone from uh, Twitter. Uh, Steve has disappeared just for a quick second. So do you see where I seamlessly stepped in? Um, even and then I said that I'd seamlessly stepped in and just ruined all of that. Iron Man um, three would have been my biggest surprise if it weren't for a certain podcast. Really? Okay. I, Shane Black. <laughs> it, it, Shane Black. If you yeah, remember. Always going to be good. But anyway, we'll be back after this short break. Uh, so this is the most exciting part of this podcast, and that's hard to believe because it's been excellent so far. <laughs> uh, this is our awards for 2013 in film, as voted for by us and you, the listeners. Uh, yeah. How many how many people submitted votes, James? Um, do you know what? It was upwards of it was more than ten and less than twenty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, that's that's quite, just... it's quite, it's quite. Do you know what? We're we're quite elite in that sense. We're not like these populist or what. We're a bit more like the uh, the academy or something like that. <laughs> well, well, no, no, no one bothers. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, which award are we starting with? Okay, we're um we're gonna do it a bit like the Oscars, uh, and we'll go for a few of the minor ones first. So, first award is for best soundtrack, which could have been for a score or a soundtrack, and. Uh, there's three three have placed uh so in third place was the soundtrack to les miserables in second place the soundtrack to gravity 
And in first place, the soundtrack to the film Cloud Atlas, here is a clip. So yep, that bit of Cloud Atlas there, um, a winner. It was it was quite a heated battle to be honest. It was between Cloud Atlas and Gravity all the way there. Cloud Atlas hung on though. Um, co-produced by one of the directors as well, Tom Twyker, who wrote some of the music for that. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll quickly switch over to you. Anyone got any any kind of instant reaction to that? Yes, I didn't vote for Les Mis in anything because I looked at an American list. It must have been. And it said it was out in 2012. So <laughs> I hope my vote didn't came twice because I seem to. Have no, no, I did for... take one of your cloud out. I can't believe I've done that. I meant to put and Django in. Even with your Django one, would Django have been your first choice? Yeah, or first. Okay. Um, it still wouldn't have crept into Shut the up. top three, and Cloud Atlas <laughs> still would have won. Yeah. So it's okay. Quick point on it's gravity, okay. by the way. I think the way the reason that stood out was quite different to everything else, in that it's the first time I've ever watched a film and there's been music in the background, and yet never noticed that there was music. Yet it worked to build tension. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yes. It was really good use of music. It was good music, but yeah, you're it right. Never, it was also it never made the, use the isolation. Music end do you know what i mean it always yeah. felt like a really empty isolated place yet there was music and then you noticed it when it needed to be noticed yeah okay so moving on to our next uh award which is the award for best film not in the in the english language and in third place uh my film of the year and a documentary no less the act of killing um in second place i'm really pleased about this uh i know owen will be as well the thieves a Korean yeah, film, uh, a Korean, the Korean Oceans, the Pacific Oceans 11, as I think I called it, yeah. it at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the winner, quite a, quite a runaway winner here. Blue is the warmest colour. Here is a clip. Bah, je trouve qu'il est engagé. Ouais, c'est vrai. C'est pareil que Sartre. C'est un peu un philosophe, c'est un prophète, c'est la même chose. En tout cas, j'espère que tu voudras bien m'aider pour mes sortes de philo, parce que t'as l'air... Euh... Bah écoute, c'est tu veux. So, a clip there from uh, our winner of Best Film Not in the English, English Language. Blue is the warmest colour. Has anyone other than me seen it yet? No. Nope. There we go. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favourite films of the year, full stop. Um, brilliant, brilliant. And I noticed earlier my top three, and then this was fourth in my list as well uh, when I was voting. So my four films are all virtually or over three hours, and I'm the one who every week moans about films being too long. I thought that was a bit of a weird counterpoint there. But uh, Blue is the Warmest Colour, fantastic film. If you get a chance to see it, do please see it. Um, on to the next one then. Uh, best documentary of the year. This was also quite competitive. Um, and Steve will be pleased to hear this. In third place, 
the great hip hop hoax. Brilliant. <laughs> excellent. Excellent sec- documentary. Yes. Uh, in second place, the act of killing, and the winner, quite an obvious winner, I think here, uh, Blackfish. Here's a clip. I actually started the Rule like five days after that event occurred, and um, we didn't, we weren't told much about it other than it was trainer error, um, and. You know, especially when you're new into the program, you don't really question a whole lot. Well, you know, years later, when you actually look at the footage, you go, you know what? He didn't do anything wrong. That whale just landed on him, you know? That whale just went to the wrong spot, or it it could have been aggression. Who knows? But it was not the trainer's fault at all, you know, watching that video. When I saw the video of the killer whale landing on John, I mean, it just absolutely took my breath away. I gasped. You know, I watched it two or three times, and every time I saw that, I just gasped. I could not believe what I was seeing. What kept his body together is that, you know, his his wetsuit basically held him together. But I know he's had multiple surgeries, and he's got tons of hardware in his body. And it's hard for me to believe that I didn't actually see that video while I was actually an animal trainer, because it seems to me that every person who works with killer whales should have to watch that video. So a clip there from Blackfish, which has won our award for best documentary. And I'll be honest, yeah, this one was a bit of a runaway winner. Uh, Your guys, your thoughts on Blackfish? Didn't teach me anything I hadn't learned from watching Free Willy. (laughs) I I had to include it in my list, even though I really got wound up watching it. But it was still, I I mean... it was hard to judge it as a documentary because I was so emotionally involved in the story they are trying to tell, but I still sort of included it first because it was very powerful, I think. I think we've had this conversation a little bit, haven't we, about yeah. uh, balance and two sides and things like that. And I, I, me personally, I'm of the opinion that if a documentary sets out to be um, an impassioned piece of rhetoric then go for it i've got yeah and i think this was a very very powerful film um and it did its it did its first job which was to make you think about what it wanted you to think about so um right here we go we're getting on to the bigger the bigger awards now best technical Uh, advancement in sound (laughs) (laughs) sadly no um and we're going uh, in a slightly sexist way here but it's the way everyone else we're going with best actress first um so best performance by an actress really and i just want to comment on a few that just missed out here as well um kate blanchett from blue jasmine just missed out uh from a place mia vosikovska from stoker just missed out on a place as did judy Judy dench from philomena uh rooney mara from side effects emma thompson from saving mr banks and jessica chastain in zero dark 30 um so the awards go to in third place Anne hathaway in les miserables in second place sandra bullock from gravity and this is quite a stunning win here and it's a win by quite some distance um in first place adele exochopolis from blue is the warmest color I am so pleased with this. Um, just to let you know, basically, it seemed to me that anyone who had seen the film put her as their best actress. That that Looking at the votes, that seemed to be the way it went. It's an incredible, incredible performance. I've already played a clip from the film, so I'm not going to play another clip here now. Uh, and I'm, again, I already know you haven't seen the film. So I'd, let's just take a moment, say, to think about the fact that uh, I think last year a... French actress in a French film won our best actress as well. Was it Emmanuel Reaver in Amour last year? I think so. Or it, it was either her was. or um, the other French one that you loved that was your like 
Uh, Marion Cotillard. Yeah. I think it was Emmanuel Riva, though. Um, and that just goes to show how damn up our own asses we are, giving our awards away to French actors. Can I just say, I didn't vote for Anne Hathaway because she's yeah. pretty much only 10 minutes worth of quality actress thing in that. Yeah, no, and that's a, that's a, that's a fair enough assessment. Um, if we did it on just 10 minutes, she would have been by far and away the leader. <laughs> I, but, I, I should point out as well, I, I had um, Bullock as number one, but I did have to put in, I don't know if you noticed, James, so I put in... Um, yeah, you spat yeah. as you did it, yeah, because you, you, you don't like her. I hate her, she <laughs> was tremendous. <laughs> she was brilliant, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, I was sat there watching like, damn it, do something bad. <laughs> okay, so uh, our, our best... Uh, performance by an actor this year. Again, people who just missed out. Jude Law in oh, Side Effect. Oh, just missed out. Uh, Hugh Jackman in Les Miserables. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained. Ooh. Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. Uh, and Michael Douglas in Behind the Candelabra. We've got a joint third here. In joint third place, Daniel Bruhl from Rush. And James McAvoy from Filth, uh, who was my number one pick. Um in second, real surprise second place here. I'm really pleased about this as well. Sam Rockwell in The Way, Way Back. <laughs> and in first place, an absolute runaway winner. And I'm gutted to say I haven't actually seen this performance. Uh, Tom Hanks in Captain Phillips. Uh, here's a really? clip. Four pirates! On board, four pirates! Coming towards us, down the main deck! Lock down the bridge. Yeah. Listen up. We have been boarded by four armed pirates. You know the drill. We stay hidden no matter what. I don't want any hostages. Soccer, We stay locked down until help arrives. No one comes out until you hear the non-duress password from me, which is supper time. If the pirates find you, remember, you know the ship. They don't. Make them feel like they're in charge, but keep them away from the important things like the generator and the engine controls. Stick together. And we'll be all right. Okay, so that was Tom Hanks. And just for that clip, you would have heard the disappointment <laughs> in Owen's voice. Yeah. So, Owen, I'm going to go to you first. It, the, people have given him that, that you know... Uh, put him so highly in their list because of what's supposed to be his brilliant acting performance in the last sort of 10-15 minutes of the film which is just him crying it's the same thing he does in every film Tom Hanks I don't think he does it any better than he's ever done it before if, or if any you're worse gonna, if you're going to pick anyone for an acting performance from Captain Phillips it's the guy who plays the the yeah. one in charge of the of the terrorist kidnapping. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. And do you know what, Steve? Not a single vote for him. Yeah. Racist. Well, he's he's even for me, so... <laughs> Mind you, I didn't vote for Tom Hanks, so... Well. Yeah, you see, I chose Hanks partly on sort of work throughout the year, if that makes sense. Yeah. I thought he was superb in Cloud Atlas as well, and I thought, well, people yeah. are probably going to vote for Captain Phillips, so I want him to have some kind of recognition. So I went oh, Jerry was being yeah. strategic. Ta- tactical <laughs> voting. I'm genuinely surprised. Tactical voting. This is how the Lib Dems get to share government, Jerry. (laughs) This is why things go wrong. Well, DiCaprio, though. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, I love DiCaprio and and Django. Absolutely brilliant. 
And then he's got great Gatsby. I think the only well. thing with Django is maybe because it was released in January and because all of those kind of films were dealt with by the Oscars near the beginning of the year. A lot of people, yeah. I think, forgot about that. Well, Daniel um, Day-Lewis as well, for example. Daniel Day-Lewis as well, yeah, exactly. That shows you is. a lot about the difference between an American um, judging panel and us, though. Mm. Yes, that's that's very, very true. Um, although, who would bet against uh, Tom Hanks getting the award, uh, the Oscar? Who knows? Who knows? I think um, that really depends, considering Mandela's died. I think that'll probably really yeah. depend on how good yeah. Idris Elba is in the Mandela. No, that's well, true. I was going to say, Elba's going to walk that one. I'm sorry, but he is. Yeah, I've been really well, cynical about that as well and said it even, from the beginning. Well, if the, unless the film's absolutely shit. Yeah. But even if it, even if it's good, like just all right, if it'll probably I've heard, okay, he'll win. I've heard it's a decent film with two incredible central performances mm. is uh, what I've heard. That is yeah. belie- very believable. But considering he, Mandela died this year, then he, mm-hmm. you know, marries up, tribute, all that rubbish. So Yeah. I just didn't watch okay. anything with the Drisalba in it that doesn't make me think of Stringer Bell every single time. <laughs> he's been great yeah. in a lot of things, actually. I mean, the Luther, he was... Yeah. He's excellent I, in Luther. Yeah. It will be difficult to see Stringer Bell when he's playing 60, 70, 80-year-old South African man, surely. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I've said this before and I'll say it again. Idris Elba, next Bond, has to happen. That'd be awesome. Oh, controversial, but I like it. Fro- yeah. throw, throw more credence into the fan uh, uh, fan theory that it's just the code name James Bond. If you end up with a black one, so it, doesn't really fit. <laughs> it doesn't really fit into the the whole. It's the same person. Do you know what? Hey, Steve. I know where Steve was going now, but <laughs> do you know what? If 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 any of us ever get arrested or anything like that, you know they're going to cut up their po- this podcast and take out the phrase <laughs> where Steve goes, "You're going to get a black one." You <laughs> sounded a bit Javis there, a bit, oh, a bit yeah. David Fred. <laughs> You're going to have a black one. I, it's, it's no worse than having a black blade, to be fair. I have fought against racism. Well, blade so. is, though, isn't he? Blade's well, not black. In the comics, it was, not. wasn't he? No? Unless I'm completely wrong. I'm... <laughs> I thought he was. I thought that was part of the... Do you know what, Matt? You're fitting into this podcast really, really well. Yeah, unless I'm completely wrong. <laughs> Who knows? I'm convinced he's not, but I'll just shut up just in case. <laughs> He wasn't black, was he? There you go. That's my comic knowledge. I'm we... sure... Anyway, yeah, I, just, I just googled it. He looks pretty black to me. Can oh, we know. can we edit out racism? Uh, no, I'm not re- editing. <laughs> I think we've established he's not <laughs> editing anything out of this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm drunk and I'm moving house tomorrow. This is going <laughs> up pretty much verbatim. You'll be lucky if there's clips in this. Well, actually, mine mine wasn't racist, so it's fine. <laughs> No, just just out of context, it sounded a bit you know, odd. Yeah, you know, in a minute, James, he's going to say, do you know who, I, who my favourite actor is? <laughs> Denzel Washington. Poitier. <laughs> Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier. <laughs> watch, Flight, watch Flight last night with that uh, Denzel Washington in it. Good actor. <laughs> there, my favorite. there you go, there's your balance, James. There's your balance. <laughs> Not my favourite actor of all time, though. Anyway, let's carry on. <laughs> okay, so that brings us on to best film. Um, very, very quickly, without any discussion, I'm going to count down uh, the films that kind of made the top 20 up to the top 10. Um, uh, Despicable Me 2 at number 20. Captain Phillips at 19. Zero Dark 30 at 18. Spring Breakers, boo, at 17. Um, then at Joint 15, Before Midnight, and Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, 14th, 
Stoker. Boo. Thirteenth <laughs> uh, side effects. Um, a few that missed out on this illustrious top twenty. Man of Steel missed out. Secret Life of Walter Mitty missed out. Fast Six and Philomena also missed out as well. Um, as did Only God Forgives. Um, but I'm going to go in and into our top ten just to make things complicated. In tenth place, there are three films in joint tenth place. And uh, so very very quickly, Blue is the warmest color in tenth place. Rush and The World's End. All of those just snuck into our uh, tenth place. Quick reaction to that. I get uh, the then. World's End there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I thought it was good. By the way, I'm, that, um, I'm happy it's there. With Blue is the warmest colour, I get the feeling that everyone who's seen it would put it highly. And the fact that, that that yeah, if you look at the pattern, if if you've seen it, you loved it generally. Although I can't I can't say that for certain. Mm. Uh, because people who didn't vote for it might not have voted for it because they hated it. But generally. People who I know have voted for it here, and I've spoken to them separately. Tend to, it is one of those films that generally, if you've seen it, you've loved it. There, there are a number of films, I think, as well, which is, I mean, it's a more general point, but there are a number of films that because of the distribution, whether that's they've come out just too late for people to have seen them by the time this made the list, like The Hobbit, for instance, will probably yeah. for that. Or there's the ones that haven't quite made it to home viewing yet either, yeah. uh, which I think is an issue. Well, The I Secret think, Life of Walter Mitty was out on boxing day wasn't it yeah exactly, exactly. and it, it nearly made the it nearly made the top 20 um filth i think is one that not many people saw at the cinema but would have seen at home uh if they could have i think filth would have been higher than that philomena uh, and blues the warmest color have, have suffered from largely an independent cinema release yeah. rather than a mainstream yeah. Exactly. I, I think that's the case. I, I, I'll be and I'll be honest. I'm a bit disappointed before midnight was so low as well. But I know Jerry, you hate. I'm a bit you disappointed hate... that it's being mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised Fast Six didn't make it in there purely because of how well it did at the box office, and it yeah. would be a wave of sympathy after the tragic uh, death of Paul Walker. And it, yeah. and it was good cinematic fun. It's not going to be uh, lauded upon for its amazing performances, but it, it was good fun film. What an enjoyable film. Okay, so into ninth place then. Uh, we've got the place beyond the pines. Owen. Yeah, great. That was second on my list, as I said earlier, but um, I'm glad it's made the top ten. I was I was a little unsure about it as well because I know people really hated on that final segment. So. Yeah, I'm yeah. with James. I I didn't like the final segment. That kind of dragged it down. I think I put it tenth. I think okay. if, if it wasn't for that final third, it would be much higher. But it really annoyed me. Really annoyed me. <laughs> And then, okay, up into eighth place then. Iron Man 3, directed by Shane Black. Um, I'm just going to say really quick, I love Shane Black films, and this did not disappoint me in that sense whatsoever. Um, Funny. Danny Jr. has completely grown into that role. And we've had this conversation before. I can't imagine anyone else in the world ever being Iron Man ever again. Um, But, guys, what what did you think to Iron Man 3? I really enjoyed it. one of the one of the better, I think, you know, Marvel standalone, like you know, not the Avengers, but the respective superheroes off on their own. One of the better ones. And always a lot of comic book nerds with the twist, though, didn't it? Did. Yeah, I fucking love the yeah. twist. Yeah, yeah, and we still won't go into that in too much detail, but just say I loved what they did. There, I thought it was, was. I thought it was great. A lot of a lot of yeah. people who who really like comics didn't. Yeah, it, it it annoyed what I you know I I don't like the phrase, but I can't think of anything any better way to phrase it. the fanboys. Um, yeah. it kind of, annoyed, but yeah, no, it was brilliant and brilliant performance from Ben Kingsley. Um, 
Robert Downey Jr. was great. I, 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 I really well, thought good. It was good. And Guy Pearce was really good as I well. Think, always reliable. As with any Iron Man film, always a solid Blu-ray choice as well. Mm. In fact, I think I might watch it tonight after this as well. There you go. That's It's a very <laughs> solid Blu-ray choice. Okay, uh, in seventh place, I'm very happy about this, and so will Jerry. Les Miserables. Get in. Although, actually, no. I'm, remember, it was out this year. <laughs> I'm slightly disappointed that it's only in seventh. I know, but I, I I couldn't hope for too much more than that. I'll be honest. I was just glad it made the top ten. Uh, but yeah, uh, Les Misérables. We've spoken about it a lot already. I don't think we need to go into too much more detail there. But quite interesting that that was a really early release, which people did remember. Um, oh, yeah. So that that's good to see. Um, in sixth place, and this kind of one of the real surprises for me in this top ten, uh, one of these sleeper hits, and it's only just been released on Blu-ray as well, so a lot of it must have been cinema as well. Uh, the Way Way Back, yeah. starring Sam Watwell, uh, Steve Carell, Alison Janney, um, Tony Collette, loads of brilliant, brilliant people. Um, Owen, you you jumped in there. What what did you think of the film? Yeah, I thought it was quite good. I thought um, Sam Rockwell, I would have sworn he would be sort of in perhaps the first or second choice for top actors because that it's his performance really that makes that film there's not really a lot to the way way back but every time sam rockwell's on screen you're just smiling or laughing because it's yeah it's just um so damn charming yeah he is he's, he's like we said about the rock he's just got that on-screen charisma hasn't he yeah and he's but he's also an incredible actor as oh, well oh yeah and that's, yeah yeah and that and that's what i, I love seeing sam rockwell's really really enjoyed the way way back and what was really nice for me to actually see when people were voting is um Alison Janey didn't get anywhere near the kind of top three or so but a number of people had her at their number four or five choice for best actress and that's okay. great because I, I absolutely love Alison Janey and she picked up a number of um kind of fifth place votes and a number of fourth place votes from people voting and she's she's absolutely brilliant in that and, as, and I'm just re-watching the West Wing at the moment and I adore Alison Janey. So um, really, really pleased. And just really pleased to see uh, yet another comedy uh, up there. And I think just on a general note, comedy this year has been so much better than last year. Last year's comedies were, by and large, utterly shit. And this year, we've had some, I think we've had some really, really good comedies. And I think this kind of, this list, you know, bears that out, which is great. Um, okay, moving into the top five now. And you know what? I think Matt's going to be happy. It's Pacific Rim. Get in there. <laughs> Pacific Rim is... And I'll, I'll be honest, I was a bit surprised by the level of support there was for Pacific Rim. Which at one point, <laughs> at one point, was leading the race. Get it. Wow. <laughs> I yeah. knew it would do. It's just too much fun to, to ignore. It's hard to build a case against it, even if it is yeah. quite basic. It, it narrowly yeah, missed no. out on my top three purely because it's just so enjoyable. Mm. I think I even if so. you're not a comic book nerd or a you know a, a real sort of you know people will talk about the manga and the anime influences and all that kind of stuff and the whole Japanese big robot thing, but anyone can watch that and and dip in and out of it and still get a hell of a lot out of it just because it's so stunning to watch. Yeah, so there we go. And, and yeah, you know, it's quite nice because it's not been on any any other publications list of the best. For, so I, I think that stands us out a little bit as well, which is nice. Um, and then so moving it, this is where it got really serious now. But up until now, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of the phony war. But this is the next four films were all separated by the slimmest of margins. 
Uh, and at number four, it's Django Unchained. That's a good one. Ah. A bit choice. disappointed to see it not, miss, uh, not get in the top three, at least. Yeah, but four is okay. <laughs> I'll take it for you. You give your blessing. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I think part of it may have been just its really early release and the fact that it had already been through one award season. Mm. I think that may have been. I think if it had come out in maybe October, you might have been looking at a slightly different position there. But still, a, a very, very creditable yeah, position. Yeah, like, we haven't got to reset yeah. the poll or anything, so. <laughs> um yeah i think we've spoken a lot about django and chain so i'll move on to our our bronze position um uh bronze position really I, and i'm so happy this is so high up here even though i didn't have it this high up in third place alpha papa wow. yeah get in colossal I'm... colossal velocity yes <laughs> Chap of Steel. Was that an accumulation of sort of lower down places? It was. It was a lot of kind of third to eighth place votes. Yeah, a lot. It was on a lot of people's um, lists. And put it through yeah. the volume basically, rather than sort of a lot of people putting it at one and a lot of people not including it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say. But you know that you know. It, it all works for me and yeah i was i was a really big fan of alpha papa not quite as much on a second viewing which i was slightly surprised but, but i but i want to watch it for a third time so that clearly there's something there yeah i saw uh, it i saw it three times and it's made me laugh every single time yeah i was gonna say uh, um partridge generally lends itself well to repeated viewing so is it not a repeat viewing one or, or owen saying it is I, 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 maybe I just, maybe it was a slightly different experience because my first experience of it was opening night in a packed cinema mm. of clearly lots of people who love Partridge and that experience, that I, it was yeah. in the top five from that experience. Um, then when I watched it at home, it was a bit, okay, no, no, loads of it's really funny, but like I was expecting some of the funniest bits already. Um, but then I think you push through into a third viewing where actually no, I, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure I'll still be picking up on things as well. And just to say, I, I agree with Owen, it, it really walks that fine line between being a TV program, TV sitcom, and um, being a cinematic experience. And uh, it was in my cho- on the website. If you go to failcritics.com, you'll see my choices for my favourite moments of cinema using music this year and one of those yeah. was the opening credits of this where basically you've got three minutes of steve coogan as alan partridge lip-syncing like knowingly lip-syncing to uh while he's driving his car to roachford's uh cuddly toy and the the great thing is that's exactly what partridge would have done in the sitcom but they wouldn't have had three minutes to spare to be able to do that and it's just this idea that they're able to take the spirit of Partridge and using cinema go, right, well, we've got three minutes. So let's actually let him sing an entire song while driving to work. And it worked brilliantly. And I can't stop watching that clip either. <laughs> yeah. and I can't stop listening to Cuddly Toy. And I've got um, when Partridge was released, I went out and bought the collector's edition, which came with the CD soundtrack as well, which I now listen to in my car. And I drive around Leicester lip syncing to Cuddly Toy myself. That was, um, I mean, there was a lot of anxiety from me. and I think Owens said the same. We discussed this when it came out that we were all worried that it wasn't going to work. We were all scared that, you know, with any TV movie, it's not going to 
it's not going to do what you want it to. And that was, you just don't want them to ruin it, do yeah, you? Yeah, and that was the moment when I thought, yeah, this is going to be all right. This is going to work. This, it's, they've not ruined it. It's not going to be shit. There was the first bit was you know was all right, and then the credits kick in, and that happens, and you think, oh, I've got nothing yes. to worry about. This is going to be good. Yeah. But I think it's Neil and I said it at the time. It's Neil and Rob Gibbons, these two guys who've sort of taken on most of the writing duties. Um, mm. of the sort of, if you want it in sort of quotation marks, modern partridge, uh, it's like partridgeism itself. But you know, they've they've kind of given this new life to the character. I think at one point it most like Steve Coogan had done, mm. and he wanted a sort of movie career, and he moved yeah. America, and he was in all these different films. Now it seems like he's gone back to it and realised it's it's quite good. And to give Steve Coogan credit, I know everyone expects him to do Adam Partridge really well, but he does it brilliantly. Yeah, I, yeah, he was in that's my a good, top five really good point. Because he was so good. Because I thought, who have I seen? I yeah. was looking back at my selections for best film, and I thought, do you know what? That's a cracking performance. As much as you, you is, associate yeah. him with that character, he's so it's good at that brilliant character. Performance. That, yeah. he, he lives that character. And, and it's a bit harsh to go, well, he's done that for 20 years, but he's done it brilliantly for 20 years. <laughs> and also, you can set, he's not done the same character for 20 years. If you go back and watch... Um, the day-to-day mm. and see Alan Partridge as a sports presenter on the day-to-day. He's a different character. Yeah. Uh, he's actually, he's grown up with the character as well. And that kind of annoyed me. People who criticised Alpha Papa going, well, that, you know, it didn't seem, you know, it didn't seem like the Partridge. You know, well, he's grown as a character. He's not meant to stay exactly the same. I think... He's not meant to exist. In, it's not like the Simpsons. He never kind of, you know, he doesn't exist in a time capsule and he's always this age and this character. And I thought that was really important. And I'm also really excited that apparently some more mid-morning matters has been commissioned oh, fantastic. by Sky. So there's going to be more mid-morning matters. He's sticking with the character. And I think that's great because it's, it, it's my favourite British comedy character since Basil Fawlty, I think. As Owen said as well, just to tie it together, I think the evolution of the character is very, very tied into the new writers coming on board. Mm. And it's such a rare thing for a, a character to last that long, have different writing teams and still work, but in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that brings us on to uh, the silver medal position. Um, this was really, really, really neck and neck here. Uh, but second place goes to Gravity. Just snuck onto my list, Gravity, just at the end. I know you were you were never hugely enamoured of it, were you, Owen? I love that. I mean, as Jerry said, and Steve and James and Matt have said, it's one of those you watch in the cinema. It's just it blows you away mm. how astonishingly well, you know, the, 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 the just fantastic sound is brilliant. Um, as I said, the 3D just gives it this uh, that you don't really get from other 3D films. I just felt the story was just a bit too pedestrian. I know it's as good as they could do. I know it's, you know, that there isn't really anything else they could have done any differently. Um, I just, it did, the story didn't suck me in like I thought it was going to. And I, I think it's just Alfonso Cuaron. Is that your pronounced name? Cuaron? Mm, yeah. Um, I didn't like... Cuaron, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> just... Uh, I didn't really like Children of Men either. Um, Ooh. <laughs> going on Troll Patrol tonight. <laughs> I just didn't like Children of Men. Um, and gra- So I, I did go into Gravity with sort of fairly low expectations. I know Carol gave it a brilliant write-up on the website when she saw it. Mm. Um, but yeah, Gravity, it, it made my top 20. 
um, but just at the very bottom of the list. But I did see almost 100 films this year, so I suppose that's quite high. Yeah, I've seen 101 uh, 2013 releases, though, and just getting my dick out a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, just to get out. That's why I'm, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, leading on to uh, the winner. Um, like I say, really, really neck and neck, uh, but I'm so pleased this one edged it. So the the winner of best film for the 2013 Fell Critics Awards is Cloud Atlas. Here's a clip. Belief, like fear or love, is a force to be understood as we understand the theory of relativity and principles of uncertainty. Phenomena that determine the course of our lives. Yesterday, my life was headed in one direction. Today, it is headed in another. Yesterday, I believed I would never have done what I did today. These forces that often remake time and space, that can shape and alter who we imagine ourselves to be, begin long before we are born and continue after we perish. Okay, that was a clip. <laughs> Again, do you remember when I was on about the stick or me too, right? And I was saying the kids make it. <laughs> they do things like what Owens keeps doing on these. They go, wow, when something good happens. That wasn't me. me. That, that was me. That was <laughs> Matt. Oh, we need more oh. regional dialects on this. I mean, there's just <laughs> people confuse yeah. it. Steve's just was, a bit got used to it. Was that a wow of good or a wow of bad? That was just a surprise. I then I've heard so yeah. few people talk about it outside of the podcast, and generally speaking, even amongst the podcast, it's championed predominantly by James. I didn't think it was going to get near the top three, but uh, that was pretty cool. We were discussing yeah, it it's... today. Like, um, I mean, both my parents have watched it, and my dad hated it. I think he walked out. Or no, he didn't walk out, but he was at a free screening, um, mm. and loads of people did get up and walk out. After yeah. like 20 minutes. Um, and my mum sort of thought it was just nonsense. She was like, <laughs> what was it? It was just crazy. She couldn't get her head around all the different characters. And I had a very impassioned argument for a good 15 minutes earlier on about how ambitious and magnificent the filmmaking is. Yeah, It's the ambition, the sheer ambition. Mm-hmm. I don't think it works as well as it should, if that makes sense. I think what it wants to be and what it is are, are different things, but the film they tried to make is mind-blowingly brilliant. I think yeah. it falls short of that, but it's still excellent. But it wasn't anywhere near one for me. I think I had it nine, maybe. I think you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, no, I, I'm just trying to. I did have uh, Munchkin three six five had it at number one. Um, some I had it at number two. Um, about I'm just looking at the votes now. About three or four other people had it in their top five. Do you know, it's very much a film bloggers film. Uh, it, it it it's not clearly it got completely ignored at the Oscars, um, which I, I did think was harsh. Um, it's not an industry film and it's not a populist film, but it is the kind of film that people who like to write and talk about film will have at least seen it, will have an opinion on it. And I think they're the type of people, like you say, Jerry, uh, the people who like who like to watch loads of films and like to talk about films will appreciate the sheer ambition of what they tried to do. And or, you know, and almost go, do you know what? The fact that you even tried to do that, I'm going to vote for that. And I'll be honest, like I say, there's bits of it which are ludicrous. 
Tom Hanks's Irish alleged mm. accent, for example, is a guy. It's it, stupid. It's ridiculous. But it takes like three minutes of the film, which is a near three hours long. Um, yeah, against Hugh Grant's kind of cannibal hunter, which I didn't even see the first time around. I didn't even know that was Hugh Grant playing that character. Um, Halle Berry is not generally great in much that she does to be honest i'm not a big fan of halle berry either there there, go, there comes more racism from the podcast sorry about that she's solid um, in this though she's solid she's in right. this. when she has to play a white jewish she's, white adult, she's that's a, a bit, bit weird, weird. Yeah. <laughs> and and hugh grant as an angry korean restaurant owner as well it's just and there's bits like that which are absolutely ludicrous and shouldn't work and the fact that you are cutting between so many storylines at such a pace and it and it is two and three quarter hours long. Again, that shouldn't work. Tom Hanks talking about the true true and that ridiculous future patois. None of it should work. Um, but it, it, I just I found it so exhilarating to watch. Uh, and I'm so pleased that other people felt the same as me. And again, yeah, that's that's a film which got ignored by the public and by uh, people who make awards. I honestly think it is a future classic. Uh, and I'm I'm really pleased to see it there. While I was watching it, I remember thinking to myself, I actually said this aloud to my to my girlfriend while I was watching it. I can't tell whether this is a terrible film, one of the worst films I've ever seen, or one of the best films I've ever seen. Yeah. And it could have gone <laughs> it could have gone both ways as I was going along. Exactly. The mood I was in when I first watched it, if I'd been in a bad if I'd been in a bad mood, if I'd been in an impatient mood, I may well have just turned it off and gone, I'm not watching that you know, nonsense. Um because I got it as a screener, and that's that also helped. Um, but the fact is, yeah, I, 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 I fell in love with it, and I watched it again recently because I was getting ready to do my votes, and I thought you've put this, you've put this really, you put it at number two on your list, and you've not seen it since February, right? You need to, yeah. And I watched it and loved it again. Watched it on Blu-ray. It's an utterly stunning film to watch, and it gets me very excited about the Wachowski. The new soul bits get me very, very excited about the Wachowskis being back in sci-fi. Jupiter Ascending, I mean, Mm. I haven't seen the trailer, which I've heard bad things about. Oh, no, I like the trailer. Um, But if you look at what it's about, what the cast is... Yeah. If if you've seen Cloud Atlas or you haven't, the new film that they're doing, Jupiter Ascending, is something to be excited about, whether you've seen Cloud Atlas or not. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, and 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 the other thing, I'm really, really pleased for Tom Twyker as well because I've been a fan of his ever since Run Lola Run, uh, and then he did the, uh, I think it was called Heaven, uh, a film with Giovanni Ribisi and Kate Blanchett, an Italian film. Um, Really, really strong director and a, a great composer as well. So um, I, I'm just really, really chuffed that Cloud Atlas got there. Um, any any huge disappointments? For, any films that haven't been mentioned that people are disappointed didn't even get a mention? Well, I'm not surprised it didn't get a mention, but a field in England, I, I know that even the <laughs> It's one of those films which we've said about Cloud Atlas. It's a film critic's film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I, I can let you know, Owen. Yeah. Uh, you were the only person. Oh, to are you kidding? <laughs> I'll let you know, Owen. I was having a chat with my girlfriend about, oh, I don't know what I should vote for. We've got to pick best uh, film. We've got to pick worst film. Most disappointing. He was a toss up between Stoker and A Field in England for worst film. Oh, if, I'd, wow. if I'd remembered, I'd watch that. That would have been the worst film. <laughs> <laughs> Unanimous then. 
Yeah, just like you know, 86 films got a mention. Uh, 86 films received votes this year. A few uh, kind of standouts that stood out for me in terms of like, oh my god, how did that get mentioned? Uh, the Wolverine uh, got a mention. Uh, World War Z got a mention. Um, what about uh, stuff that... like you know, we've mentioned Upstream Color as being a disappointment, and To the Wonder. You know, those are quite sort of critically. To the Wonder got one mention. Do decent amount of votes from one person. Upstream Color. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Upstream Color wasn't. Upstream Color. It was kind of just outside the top twenty-ish or so. Okay. Uh, Upstream Color was actually alongside Blackfish, Only God Forgives, and Pain and Gain. As it's a comedy yeah. year, where did Hangover Free come? Uh, you were the only really? person to mention uh, him. Oh, yes. I, I really like Hangover Free. Um, Guilty pleasure. Uh, in terms of alphabetical order. Um, and this pleases me. Uh, the very bottom film of all the films I got to mention. So in 86th place with one point uh, was Trance, and that pleases <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I was not sure whether to include that or not. And then I, because you know, I, I've said before, I quite enjoyed it. And I, I'm not trying to troll anyone. I just don't know how better <laughs> to word things when I like a film or don't. Trance, I quite liked. I quite liked anybody. I thought it looked brilliant. I thought the story was quite good. I know it's a bit ridiculous, but I didn't mind. But I yeah. I left it out of my top twenty purely because I thought no one else is going to vote for it. Yeah, it, it uh, missed out on mine. Just it's it's the definition of a six out of ten film. Let's be honest. Yeah. It was just, quite just... a prolific year for James McAvoy. Did Welcome to the Punch get in there? Yeah. Uh, no, Welcome to the Punch didn't get a single mention, which was a shame because I thought it was a decent film. Um, Filth was cl- uh, Filth again. If a few more people had seen Filth, it would have made it into the top twenty. Uh, but James McAvoy really really kind of emerging the one other film that i was a bit disappointed hardly had any votes at all and again i think it's just because people haven't had a chance to see it yet it was frozen the new disney animation which i really enjoyed and thought was a lot better than wreck it ralph but um yeah likewise i I think the the hobbit having watched it today that would have been yeah yeah the hobbit hobbit actually got the same amount uh, of points as uh upstream color the act of killing and philomena and fast six there you go um, what about Elysium? Did that play? Yeah, Elysium got Elysium barely got anything. Wow. I think it got a few points from Jerry. <laughs> apart from that, see, I, I was a fan of Elysium. I think the first half an hour is one of the tightest, sort of best half an hours of sound <laughs> I've seen in any sci-fi film, and then it just yeah. meandered a bit. It does. Uh, and the other one that disappointed me actually, uh, The Conjuring, which I really, really liked, but barely got a mention at all as well. I thought The Conjuring was a great film this year. It's my favourite horror film of the year, and uh, it's a bit of a shame it barely got a mention there. But that's that's it. The awards, the awards done for another year. Um, so yeah, back to you, Steve. Just a big up the uh, Cloud Atlas very quickly before we go on to Steve. That's going to be on Sky Sci-Fi and Horror on the second of January at sometime just after six o'clock for people like me who haven't seen it. Oh, excellent. Okay, that brings to an end our uh, Failed Critics Movie Awards of 2013. No one was here to collect their awards this evening, uh, so <laughs> we're going to have to, well, no one's paying post and packaging, so I don't know. I accept them all on their behalf. I'm going to melt down the gold from these awards and <laughs> make some money. Um, <laughs> Dragons will catch you if you have lots of gold. Good. <laughs> I could kill a dragon. 
I'm right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's save let's save the wine till next mm. year. Let's give the the listeners something to come back yes. to. Anyway, uh, we are going to have one more break and then subject you to some more ramblings as we talk about 2014. Right then, 2014 in film, and for ourselves involving film, um, we are going to be asking each of us for a personal resolution, a one for somebody in cinema, and choose the film that we're most looking to see in the next year. So James, what is your yes. resolution for yourself? My resolution for myself, uh, apart from actually starting to make notes again before I do this podcast, because I've been freewheeling on on my memory for too long, um, is I, I want to properly get into the world of excellent silent cinema. That's my resolution. I want to watch The Passion of Joan of Arc. I want to watch Sunset, Song of Two Humans. I want to go back and watch all the really good uh, Buster Keaton, Child Chat. So I want to properly delve my way into silent cinema uh so that's my own personal new year's cinematic resolution who, who are you resoluting for in in cinema uh it's it's quentin tarantino and it is simply find an editor that's all <laughs> i'm gonna say just yeah, find yeah. an editor yeah <laughs> and, and what film are you most looking forward to I, yeah out of all the amazing films around next year um i it was almost the muppets most wanted uh but i've i've got I'm also a bit scared that that might be bad. Uh, so I'm going to say the Lego movie from the same people who did. Um, uh, I can't remember now. <laughs> this is why I need to make notes. Uh, but anyway, the Lego movie, I saw the trailer for it. Um, it's got Chris Pratt. Uh, it's got Will Arnett. It's got Liam, Will Ferrell, Liam Neeson, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, Liam Neeson, Elizabeth. Bang. It, it just looks. I was like, how are you going to do a Lego movie? Oh, you're just going to do a comedy set in a Lego universe. That sounds amazing. So I'm, I'm if, genuinely if they if they get if they get the it. tone of the Lego Lego games right, they've yeah they've won. Yeah, exactly. And and the trailer looks brilliant. Yeah. I, I I can't stop watching the trailer. It looks hilarious. Uh, Will Arnett as Lego kind of sullen Batman and could be one of my favorite characters of next year that's what i'm very excited about okay owen same questions to you resolution for yourself. Uh, my resolution is actually to watch um less films i watched quite a lot of films this year. <laughs> i know it's, it's an odd thing to i suppose to choose but i watched like over 500 films and i think yeah, 525 films apparently according to letterbox not including those i've already um i've still got to review so yeah my resolution is to watch less two a day nearly two a day 1.5 a day something like that yeah how quick math there jerry yeah so include the ones that he hasn't reviewed we're looking at nearly two a day yeah Mm. so that's quite a lot so i think you've just got grand theft auto 5 exactly that'll stop me from um watching so many i guess uh that's my yeah that's gonna kill your film watching for a while (laughs) yeah uh, resolution for somebody in cinema. My resolution is for Arnold Schwarzenegger, <gasps> and I hope he makes more films like um, Kim Ji Woon's The Last Stand, and less like Mikhail Hofstrom's Escape Plan. Stop doing like 
buddying up films with Stallone and stuff. I quite enjoyed Expendables 2, but there's an Expendables 3 coming out, which is due to be part of Stop It. Just go back to doing the films that we want to see, which is an old grumpy cop, which is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, defending a town from drug dealers. That's what we want to see. And I hope I might um, have some good news for you when I get to mine then. (laughs) (laughs) Very good news. Yeah. But, you know, he made a sort of almost a triumphant return as a leading man in The Last Stand. And then the rest of the time, he's just done these kind of bit part films. So I hope he does more where he's the leading man again. Um, Yeah. I know it's a pretty shallow resolution with someone but you know it's Schwarzenegger isn't it you've got to back him and what film are you most looking forward to seeing I'm most looking to I've said it before on the podcast um I'm a big fan of the original Planet of the Apes film so Dawn of the Planet of the Apes I'm quite looking forward to I thought Rise was a brilliant sci-fi movie great great film great film yeah so Dawn of the Planet of the Apes uh which is directed by a guy whose name I can't remember Matt Reeves I think it is Reeves, yeah. yeah. Reeves. He he did Cloverfield, which was all right, and Let Me In, which I'm still not, you know, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic for it, and just because it's got Gary Oldman in. Gary Oldman, yeah. Just because Rise of the Planet of the Apes was so good, so that's the film. Mm. If I could watch any film tomorrow, that's what I'd go for. Uh, okay, myself then. My resolution is watch more films, which isn't <laughs> exactly easy in terms of new releases because the nearest cinema is half an hour away. And there's nowhere near me that seems to show stuff that isn't like on a mass nation, you know, national release. So it's quite hard to see smaller films. Uh, my resolution for somebody else in cinema is for Michael Bay, and it's just to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, fair enough. He's making a massive comeback, though, Steve. Yeah, he's he's really going against yeah, you. Transformers yeah. Four and Two. If he ruins Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for me, I, I'm gonna be furious i mean I can't watch that can't just watch that. he's already ruined transformers over. for me just yeah just fuck off but pain and game was all right wasn't it What's... yeah because he went back to kind of lower budget yeah. but that i liked it. it it reminded me of um bad boys um whereas what he yeah. seems to be doing is just trying to ruin all our childhoods <laughs> yeah bastard yeah. and uh, a film i'm most looking forward to is interstellar with mm. uh, with directed by Christopher Nolan, it's got Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, and loads of people in it: Michael Caine, Matt Damon, Casey Affleck, etc., etc. A sci-fi film about some people who discover a wormhole and then go into it. Mm. So yeah, the trailer for that was out a couple of weeks ago, wasn't yeah. it? Doesn't, doesn't should... give anything but, away about the film, does it? Yeah, uh, so Jerry, yourself, your resolution for you? Um, I've made a list of all the films looking ahead to 2014, just based on the sort of synopsis, directors, cast, etc. that I think, yeah, that was quite good. I've made a list of the ones that I want to see, and I'm going to make it my goal to watch all of them, rather than thinking, oh, I wish I'd watched that. Yeah, yeah nice. nice. Who are you resoluting for? Ben Affleck, don't ruin Batman. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. that's just gonna happen. He's just gonna stick a post-it note on his fridge with that. Yep. Don't ruin. <laughs> if he wakes up every day and looks at a message that says "Don't ruin Batman," we might be all right. Do you not think that might add a bit too much pressure on him? No, nah, he's he's a big lad. He can take it. Uh, uh, he's got Batman's chin. I'll give him that. What are you looking forward to? Interstellar again. 
yeah, Interstellar all the way. Okay, uh, Matt, uh, what is your resolution? Hey, my personal resolution, a bit like your own, Steve, is to go out and see more films. As you know, I'm in a bit of a, a cinematic void living on the Isle of Man, and basically the films that get brought over here generally are ever to be the biggest box office films at that particular time. So it's a case of catching more of the really good films uh, that come out on home release and perhaps even travelling to go and see more movies where it's um, economically viable, so to speak. So that's my personal resolution. And what about for somebody else? Uh, somebody else, I'm going to go for my favourite director, Paul Verhoeven. He's had a bit of a, a decade of absenteeism. Not a lot going on in the last 10 years. Although he does have, and this is what I was speaking to Owen about earlier, he's got a, an announced project lined up, which may come out in 2014, for a new Conan movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> that has all sorts of potential written all yeah. over it. It's my two favourite things in cinema. I love Verhoeven's director. Arnie's one of my cinematic heroes, particularly for his 80s work. So I've got enormous expectations for that. And if he can do a good job of that, my love for the pair of them will be forever bidding. I am really looking forward to seeing what happens with that. If only we could do a hive in person right now, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's certainly when I, when I found out about that, and I'm I'm surprised that it hasn't been mentioned before. So it's definitely snuck under the radar. That's got some some big boots to fill, particularly after the last weird Conan movie with that guy out of Game of Thrones in it. But um, mm, mm. given the Hoven's taste for adult-centric cinema and a big Arnold Schwarzenegger comeback. Some big things could happen there, so I'm excited to see what happens with that. Although I'd like to avoid anything that's sort of sexually explicit with Arnold Schwarzenegger in. It's a bit old for that now. <laughs> if we can just kind of <laughs> keep it a bit um, less typical Verhoeven, then I'm all for it. Uh, excellent. And, and what's this film? <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm on my fourth beer now. I'm just argumentative mm. so what film are you looking forward to i'm sure it wouldn't come as a massive surprise that the film i'm most looking forward to in 2014 is godzilla if if you haven't seen the quote-unquote leaked trailer for this that came out a few weeks before the most recent one whereby it's a it's a desolate wasteland of a massive animal just lying in rubble and a, a voiceover quote from the Robert Oppenheimer, quote from the Bhagavad Gita, from uh, quoting about the um, the I am the destroyer of worlds. Exactly, oh, the destroyer of worlds quote. It just got my dick hard instantly. And uh, <laughs> basically, I'm I'm committed to going to see that in IMAX. That means I'm I'm travelling off my my little island to go and see that somewhere. There's not an IMAX on the Isle of Man. I'm stunned. No. We've got two cinemas here, both got two screens, and it always full shit. But I will be going to see that in, in the best screen I can find. And it's got quite an intriguing cast, considering the type of film that it's likely to be. It's got Brian Cranston in it, Juliette Binoche, and uh, Ken Watanabe, who's fantastic. I love that guy. So I'm really curious as to see where they take that. It does seem to have a much more faithful Japanese vibe to it than the 
the 97 remake with Roderick in it and whatnot. So I think there's enormous potential off the back of Pacific Rim to do something really good with that. And that is definitely the one that stands out for me in 2014. Mm. Um, that's all then for, for this for this year from the failed critics. Uh, sorry for what was a, a pretty shambolic end of year podcast when we should have had some real pomp and ceremony for the, for the awards. <laughs> um, but, you know, hopefully you'll stick with us next year. We were all in various stages of inebriation tonight. Uh, the website is www.failedcritics.com. Com. Uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook as well, and you can find a pod. Well, you know where to find a podcast. You listen to it. <laughs> uh, yes, we'll be back early next year. Um, no confirmed date yet, I don't think. But I imagine um, our ma- our main review for that one will be um, Mandela: The Long Walk to Freedom and American Hustle. And American Hustle. Uh, so thank you all for your continued support throughout 2013. Hope you're enjoying the podcast and we will speak to you soon. The Failed Critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.